Tea doesn't work. Coffee doesn't give me energy. How am I going to podcast? How am I going to podcast? Great Fisher's ghost. Mike. Mike Tumo. I'm calling you, Mike. That voice. I remember. But it's not time yet. Mike. Mike Zumo, you've emailed me a million times. I can no longer ignore you. Say it once more, Mike. Call me. Gray Fisher's... Yes, it's me, Mike. Great Fisher's ghost. Great Fisher's ghost? The man of... Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 44 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 5 and 6 of season 3 of The Adventures of Superman. And uh, back again this week, I would like to welcome back Great Fisher's ghost himself, Bob Fisher. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Always glad to talk about uh, particularly the first episode tonight. Right. It's funny because tonight <clears throat> we're going to be talking about possibly one of my favorite top 10 color episodes and one that they probably should never have even filmed. Right. So... Uh, two extremes, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight. One of them has a guy in very pale makeup, and the other <laughs> one has a bunch of white people made up to be Indians. <laughs> right. Well, one of them's a Mexican Spanish guy, yeah. heritage wise. But one uh, of them, one of them, uh, but <laughs> right, right. Most of the most of them are white dudes dressed as Indians. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. So, first episode will be Great Caesar's Ghost, which, like Bob mentioned, is a favorite of his, and it is a favorite of mine as well with regards to that at this episode so that's where i like to draw the line between best episode and favorite episode right oh yes because absolutely while great season's ghost is one of my favorite episodes it's no panic in the sky by any stretch of the imagination. oh no not at all not at all not at all it's not on that level at all and i think almost uh, and we said this before i think when we started the color seasons here you kind of have to judge them on their own as their own unit. Don't try to compare them to the first season or even the second season, which was in black and white. Kind of a transition. You need a different scale, I think, to judge the color episode. So I judge them within my own little scale. And I think you're absolutely correct. I think that's a good way to look at particularly Great Caesar's Ghost. It is uh, a favorite episode, but it's not on the level of uh, any of season one episodes. Right. None, none of the season one episodes would be underneath or behind or this one. I guess the way to put it, this would not rank higher than any number one season. Right. But uh, in the realm of the color episodes, it is one of my favorites. And I had I've actually watched it a couple of times since we 
I knew I was going to be on this week talking about this. I put the DVD in, and it's the next to last episode yeah. on the DVD. So I just rewatched it again for a couple times, and uh, I just think it holds up. I think it holds up pretty well as a good favorite episode. I think is again, I agree with you, is a better way to do that. Right. It's still fun and enjoyable to watch this episode. This is one of those episodes where I'll put the disc in to watch this episode. Right. Right. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Exactly. I think we have some fun acting. John Hamilton is just going nuts in this one. He's so good. And, uh, well, all of them. I think all of their bit parts are. All of the supporting cast is really good in this. Well, before we get to that, we have some feedback to address. Feedback? Yeah. Wow. From who else but Dave McElvenny. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. How are you? We have two emails from Dave this week. I've kind of been sitting on him for a while because I wanted Bob here. Because both of them address episodes that Bob and I have done together. Hmm, good. So, the first one takes hmm. us all the way back to Man of Screen episode number 37. So Dave writes, I enjoyed your coverage with Bob Fisher of The Boy Who Hated Superman and <laughs> Semi-Private Eye. As always, it's fun to hear the interplay between you and Bob because you both clearly love the show and the characters and enjoy talking about them with each other. I don't have True. A- yes, very true. I don't have anything to say about the boy who hated Superman that would add to your discussion. Don't worry, Dave, really neither did we. (laughs) (laughs) As for Semi-Private Eye, I think the description of that episode of the Jimmy Olsen comic come to life is an excellent one. And it's Mm -hmm. very obvious why this was Jack Larson's favorite episode. I will comment on Alicia Cook Jr. Or Alicia, or I don't know if you have Alicia or Elisha, but either way, Dave will comment on Elijah Cook Jr.'s performance, who played Homer Garrity. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, he played Wilmer in one of the most favorite Private Eye movies of all time, The Maltese Falcon. Yes. And it was kind of ironic that the character of Homer Garrity sort of disparaged that kind of movie. And I'm going to put Dave on pause a minute. I wonder if they did that on purpose. Yeah, I, I wonder that too. That's an interesting comment. I'm not sure it, it disparaged. Yeah, it did kind of, doesn't it? It does. But yeah, I, I think... I don't know uh, if it disparaged as much as kind of poked fun. I think it pokes fun at it and... Um, but kind of as a an homage as right. well, because Homer Garrity is not particularly a clown in this one. He's a no, you know, a fairly serious private detective. But he was making fun of the use of the guns and all the <laughs> trappings making, of a private detective. The point right? he was making was that being a private eye in real life isn't as glamorous as the movies make it look. Right, right, and. I guess the irony is that it, for one day, at least, it became that form. Right, right. So, anyway. Also in the Maltese Falcon, this, his character of Wilmer was portrayed as a young, slightly wet behind the years hood who tried to appear a bit tougher than he really was. Mm. And who was no match for Humphrey Bogart's Sam Spade. Right. Yeah. I need to watch that again. I haven't seen Maltese Falcon in a long right. time. In fact, yeah. there is one somewhat funny moment in which Sam Spade easily wraps Wilmer up in his own overcoat and takes his gun away. Something I could easily imagine happening to Jimmy Olsen in this episode. <laughs> He's <laughs> yeah, probably right. Need to watch that again. I wonder if Jack Larson took any notes from Elisha Cook for his performance here. I guess we'll never know for sure. Nah, it's Th- too bad. Thanks for another great listen. Live long and prosper. Dave, Halcar, McElvenny. But Thanks, Dave. Dave wasn't done, because shortly after Ooh. that, he sent me an addendum to his email. Uh-oh. One further point on Jack Larson. I know that he will mainly be remembered for his portrayal of Jimmy Olsen and for his wonderful comic acting ability, but I myself will never forget his excellent dramatic performance in one of the final appearances on an episode of Law & Order SVU. Mm -hmm. The episode was titled Quickie, and Jack Larson played an elderly grandfather whose grandson has knowingly infected several women with HIV. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's a fine performance, and I think it provides a touching end to Jack's career. Mm-hmm. Good point, Dave. Good I, point. That's a great episode. I've, great, I've, great, great episode. I've never seen that one. I think it's, uh, uh, I think SVU, Law & Order SVU is, uh, I think complete seasons are on either Netflix or Hulu. Right, one of those two services have it because I, I know because I was looking up Law & Order Criminal Intent, right. which is my favorite version of the Law & Order shows, but I couldn't find them. I could find the regular Law and & Order I could, and SVU is everywhere. So I think right. that one you can find. But the episode is called Quickie. He's is absolutely dead on that, Dave. That's a terrific episode. And Jack Larson was absolutely brilliant in that episode. I'll have to check that out because I don't think I've ever seen Jack Larson do something that wasn't related to Superman. Mm, mm-hmm. So I'll have to hunt that down. Yeah. Well worth it. Definitely find it. Dave also sent in an email regarding episode 38 in which we covered Perry White's scoop and Beware the Wrecker. Oh, yeah. Greetings, Mike. On this episode covering Perry White's scoop and Beware the Wrecker, I have an answer for Bob Fisher and some questions. <laughs> Uh-oh. First, the answer to Bob's question about the song featuring an old-fashioned manual typewriter. I think it was The Typewriter by Leroy Anderson from 1953. Exactly. And uh, Dave provided a link, a YouTube link, and that I'll hopefully remember to put in the show notes. Right, because he did provide a YouTube link, and I also uh, replied to that to another YouTube link of a comedian, a well-known comedian, I think, in the UK or something, coming out with a typewriter and doing that piece with, like, the London Symphony or something. I forgot. I think that's on my Facebook page, or it might be yours. It It might might have been in a reply. I think it's in the group. Okay, in the group, in the Man of Screen group. Yeah, under under the posting for episode 38. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, good. So, yes, The Typewriter by Leroy Anderson. And Leroy Anderson, how do we also know Mr. Leroy Anderson's name? You don't know? um, Sleigh Ride. Oh, okay. Sleigh Ride. I should have thought of that. Tis the season. Right. Tis. All right, now he's got some questions. Uh-oh, here come the question. Here's the hard part. Yeah. And Perry White's <laughs> scoop, I always think of the kind of diving suit shown in this episode, is meant for deep-sea diving and usually has an air hose running down to it from a boat on the surface. Just how deep was that water tower? Will- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good question because you're right. That, those suits usually do mean that. Yeah. Because there were no tanks on that suit. It's no. usually a tube coming out of the helmet that uh, goes up to the surface and they pump air into it. But yeah, that's funny. That's funny. I wouldn't think you would need a wetsuit and scuba tank to just dive in, swim around, and look for that goldfish. I think though, if the water, if it if it had been full, yeah, uh, that would have been a very difficult thing to find and catch that fish. Right, because you didn't need to keep his eyes open and right, because it was at least what thirty feet deep. I mean, thirty feet tall that tank, it and looked, it looked like it. Yeah, thirty feet and pretty big, pretty good size, pretty good size. Yeah, that's funny. Right, so we're on the, look for the goldfish. Assuming <laughs> yeah. the diver knew what he was looking for, he yeah. could probably catch the fish in a net if need be. Right. They needed a Lloyd Bridges Sea Hunt type scuba gear. Scuba, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. And it also needed a flashlight. Kind <laughs> of pretty yeah. dark in there. <laughs> it was dark. Yeah. And then in Beware the Wrecker, Inspector Henderson mentions too late that the shaft inside of the hollow tree stump leads to an abandoned water main. Why is there a shaft? Known to the police, inside a hollow tree stump in the park. I believe we had that same question. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes. <laughs> I think the answer to that one would be 
plot. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> we, the, because the plot demands. I don't, I don't think we, we came up. I don't think we came up with a good answer for that either. No, we didn't. But they needed a way to. Well, they just needed something to stand around for the guy to steal the money. So the hollow's tree stump. And the fact that Clark Kent just smashed it with no big deal right then. Well, yeah, apparently it was very flimsy. <clears throat> a very flimsy tree. Well, he made it look flimsy. But yeah. If presumably the city built the shaft a shaft into the, a water main, why put a hollow tree stump on top of it? If the shaft was there before the tree, how did a tree grow on top of the shaft? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If the tree was there before the shaft, why build a shaft between a water main and a tree? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense no matter how you look at it. And no, Dave, it you're absolutely right. All right. So, chalk it up to plot device. Yeah, that was why. I once heard J. Michael Straczynski, the writer of Babylon 5. Yes. Somebody asked him, how fast do the Star Furies fly? He said very famously, they fly at the speed of plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. That's a good one. Also, about the beginning narration, beware the record, telling us the story all began a year ago. I assumed that the entire story took place a year ago. Not that it started a year before, and that the extortion lasted for almost a year before mm. Superman got involved. I could be wrong, but that's how I took it. Mm. And I really don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. Yeah, I'm not sure they actually do clear that up, do they? Now that he mentions it, no, it they never occurred it. to me. Like you uh, said, if they just took out the it all started a year ago thing, it would have been fine. Yeah, but I think... Hmm, interesting. Is the whole show basically a flashback of something that happened last year in their terms, or did it just start a year and end in current modern time as we saw it? Did it take a year for all of that stuff to... No, I I, I go back. I think I'm going to go back and say the whole thing was something that took place a year ago. I'm just going to ignore, ignore it. <laughs> all right, you're gonna you're gonna just pretend like the timey wimey thing didn't exist at well, all. This show is extremely can be extremely timey wimey. This show should never reference time. You're right. It really because shouldn't. in the Whistling Bird, yes, and in the Machine That Can Plot Crimes, yes, there is there is a character named Uncle Oscar played by the same actor twice. Right. I I take that to mean they're the same character. Well, they were called the same name, and they were yeah both scientists. Right. However, Uncle Oscar in, in the Whistling Bird, Clark mentions that he hadn't talked to Uncle Oscar in two years. It was like oh. six, it was like six episodes ago. Right. So I'm like I'm sitting there. Really? Did it has it been two years since that happened? Well, I think they do that in Topsy Turvy with the Professor Potter or Periwinkle, whatever his name, Pepperwinkle, whatever the name that that actor uses for right. down that, the line. That was Pepperwinkle, I think. I think they did that again, where they said, "Well, Professor, whatever." We haven't seen you and over you. What have you done now? Right. I think they've done that twice, then, at least, where they actually mention a time when it was really a few episodes apart. Right. But interesting. Okay, see, something in this amazing. See, here we go. How many years have I been watching these shows? And some of these questions are just coming to me right now. That's very good. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Making the gray matter up there now. Synapses are having to fire. They're coughing. They're choking. They're out of breath. They're trying to figure stuff out. Yes. Well, <laughs> anyway, Dave finishes. Thanks, as always, to you and Bob Fisher for a fun show. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. Thanks, Dave. That's nice. And I will say some of these episodes are not meant to be thought about too much. <laughs> if at all. If at all. If at all. And we're going to get to one later that shouldn't be thought of thought about too much at all. Well, really. We're going to pull that one apart. So why don't <laughs> yeah. we take a quick break. We'll play a promo. And then we'll come back with Great Caesar's Ghost. 
Yay! Hang around, folks. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com Alright, welcome back folks. We'll head right into Great Caesar's Ghost. Original broadcast date was May 21st, 1955. Writer was Jackson Gillis. Director was Harry Gerstein. Guest cast include Trevor Bardet as Julius Caesar. This will be Bardet's second appearance on the show. Second? What did he do first? He was Ben Million Butler in The Human Bomb. No kidding. No comment until the time limit is up. <laughs> I am unable to reference the human bomb without putting in no comment until the time limit is up. No comment until the time limit is up. No comment until the time limit is up. Jim Hayward as the coffee delivery man, and Olaf Hyten, or Hitten, as Jarvis. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source on the web for Superman information. Daily Planet editor Perry White is to be a key witness next week in the trial of the Morley Confidence Gang. Morley himself is dead, but his men still continue to be a thorn in the city's side. Perry is working in his office late one night. He seems nervous, almost agitated, when he calls reporter Clark Kent. Answer the phone! Hello, Kent speaking. Oh, Chief. What's wrong? Nothing. Well, isn't it kind of late at night to be calling if there's nothing wrong? Late? Of course it isn't late. Not for me. Great Caesar's ghost. When do you think I'd get my work done if I didn't work at night? But you worked last night and the night before. In fact, I don't think you've been home for two nights, have you? What business is that of yours? It's my home, isn't it? I guess I don't have to go there unless I want to. All right, Chief. But why did you phone me? I don't know. What? I mean, I've forgotten. I... It was something I've been worried about, and... Well, now you've got me so confused, I... Chief, you're not worrying about your testimony in the Morley case next week, are you? Great Caesar's ghost. Of course not. Do you think I'm afraid of a bunch of confidence men like that Morley gang? Besides, Morley himself is dead now, dead as a doornail. <laughs> now, Chief, listen to me. Inspector Henderson is counting heavily on your testimony in that trial. In fact, you're the star witness. Oh, stop giving me a lecture. I tell you, I'm not afraid of the Morley gang or anybody else, but... Shh. What? Be quiet. I heard a noise. Well, uh, somebody's using the elevator in your building, that's all. Huh? How can you tell that over the phone? I'm right here and I can't tell what it is. Who do you think you are, Superman? Shh. Kent. I'm sorry. You were right. It is the elevator. Someone's coming. Chief, I'm sure it's no one to be afraid of. <laughs> there you are. Sitting there safe and sound. And here I am in the office all alone. But of course it... Hi. Who are you? A cup of coffee ordered from the drugstore, Mr. White. Oh, yeah, yeah, my coffee. Oh, yeah, you see, Kent, nothing to worry about. Not a... Here you are. That's all right. Keep, keep the change. Gee, thanks. 
Now, let's see, where were we? Uh, hold it. I didn't order coffee. I mean, did I? Search me. Boss said you called. That's all I know. Two lumps of sugar. Yeah, two lumps. That's what I take. But... What's the matter? Is your watch ticking? Huh? Watch? <laughs> I don't even have one. Why? I can hear it. I can hear it ticking. <laughs> You're a real joker, Mr. White, and thanks. Here, come back here. Who are you? That bag. There's something in that bag. I can hear it. I'm hearing things. Kent. Kent, are you still there? Kent, there's a bomb in this paper bag. I can hear it. Kent, I need help. Kent. Good evening, Mr. White. Superman. Thank heaven. Aren't you working a little late? There. There, in that bag. There's a bomb in there. No, no, be careful. It's just coffee, that's all. No. It must be something else. I heard it. Mr. White, why don't you try and get a little rest? Kent's told me how upset you've been. Don't mention Kent's name to me, please. Do you know what he just did to me? I was talking to him on the telephone, and he hung up on me. Yes, sir, hung up. Well, he's probably got some good explanation. Anyway, I thought I'd better get over here in a hurry. Now tell me, Mr. White, what's been bothering you these past few days? You're not the type of man to be frightened by thugs. No, no. It isn't that, Superman. Honestly, it isn't. It's just that, well, for the past few days, I've been hearing... No, I can't tell you. I can't tell anybody. I don't even know what it is myself. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark are all extremely preoccupied. Call me Chief. I'm sorry, Chief. Sir, I mean Mr. White. Here, here. Now, this is just what I told you. I wrote it all down. Now, read it. Listen, poor Jimmy's getting balled out for nothing. If we only knew what was wrong with Mr. White. Mm-hmm. I ran into Jarvis downstairs. You know that man of his? Mm -hmm. He came into town with a load of laundry for him. Maybe we could get him to go home to the country and try to get some rest. Well, I told Jarvis to stick around. Maybe I can talk the Chief into going back with him. They could take the planet plane and get there in a few minutes. The Chief could get some no. sleep. Great Caesar's ghost. That assignment was simple enough, wasn't it? I wonder how many times a day he says that. Great Caesar's ghost. I don't like it. Please, Mr. White, listen to me. The ball player you told me to interview is dead. Dead? That's what I've been trying to tell you. He's been dead for 30 years. Only every time I open my mouth, you act like you're listening to something else. Well, Olson, maybe I was confused when I gave you that assignment. I thought I heard the voice and... Uh... What? Look who's here. Hanging up telephones, eh? Chief, what was it you just said about a voice? Huh? Oh, never mind. Just skip it. Skip everything. Uh, Miss Lane, you remember that Western newspaper I told you about? The one that has a feature page like yours ought to be? Yes, I do, Chief, but... Uh, Chief, we'd all like to talk to you about taking no. a rest. No, I do not need a rest. I'm not going home to the country, and is that clear? I don't want to hear another word about it. But you've been working so hard. What if you had a breakdown? There, right on top, you'll find that newspaper. Miss Lane, take it out and look at it. I marked it myself. It's good. It seems that Perry's faculties are deteriorating. Lois must try to make her latest column in the planet look like one newspaper from which Perry has cut paper dolls. And Clark must move a heater and its pipe before Perry returns in five minutes from Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson's office. The trio of reporters are beginning to believe that Perry White might be on the verge of having a nervous breakdown. Having forgotten his hat... 
Perry has returned to his office to find Clark bending the heater's pipe to move it closer to the chief's desk. First I hear things, now I... Mr. White! Chief! Oh, he's fainted! No, Jimmy, he's all right. Please. I'll be all right. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I've been acting, but... But when I, when I actually think I, well, never mind, I, I'll do anything you say. Put me on a plane with Jarvis, I'll go. I do need a rest. Perry and his butler Jarvis are flying in an airplane to the country when something happens. What's the matter with me? Great Caesar's ghost. <sighs> Perry! I'm calling you Perry White. The voice. The voice. Who are you? Where are you? Hello, Perry White. You've never been any place except in my home. That's why I haven't wanted to go back there. Perry White. Now? Now you're everywhere, all around me. Harry, I'm right here with you. Where are you? Who are you? Answer me. I'm not afraid. Who are you? Where are you? Come closer. Oh, back there. Come Show closer. yourself, you coward. I'm not afraid of you. Where are you? Harry. There. Harry. You're out there. I... You're not Harry, in here, so you I... must be out there. To find the source, Perry opens a door that can eventually lead to certain death in disguise. Superman, who as Clark Kent was using his superhuman eyes to watch over Perry's flight, has caught the editor before he can meet his maker. Perry tells him of hearing a voice, which leads Jarvis to think someone has placed a recording device of some kind in the airplane. Superman has found no such evidence. This leads both Jarvis and Superman to wonder about one thing. Has Perry White, respected editor of the Daily Planet, lost his mind? Perry's vacation in the country is anything but restful. Jarvis has tried everything to help his employer relax, but the voices still haunt him. Pills don't work. Milk doesn't make me sleepy. How am I ever going to rest? How am I going to rest? Great Caesar's ghost. Very, very white. Oh, no. Not again. I can't stand it. I'm too tired. I don't care who you are or where you are. But it's your own fault, Perry White. All these years you've called me. Call once more. What? One million times. I can no longer resist you. Call, Perry White. What? What are you talking about? Call one million times. Leave me alone. You won't leave me alone. Call once more. Call what? Great Caesar's? Yes, I am Great Caesar's ghost. Great Caesar's ghost? Of course. Who else would I be? Caius Julius Caesar. 
Master of Rome? Of all Europe. Conqueror of Gaul. Of Pompeii. That voice. That voice I've heard. It's been you. And on the plane, too. But I never could see you. Well, when a man's been dead for 2,000 years, it's not too easy to materialize. Takes a little effort, you know. No, no. It, it just isn't possible. With Caesar, all things are possible. After all, you've called me so often. I see, Perry. What a nice little garden you have here. Great Caesar. I'm sorry. I, I beg your pardon. <laughs> Quite all right. Gets to be a habit, I suppose. <laughs> but I've heard you clearer and clearer each time you've mentioned my name. I've always wondered, what is it you want of me, Perry White? But I don't want you! Nonsense. You are my greatest admirer. Don't be so modest about it. No, no. Go away. Go away. Well, it is a little cooler here than it is in Italy, but... Uh... I think I like it. Go away! Go away! Please! Go! Go away! I wouldn't wave my arms like that if I were you. I know what it is. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. That's it. Jarvis! Jarvis, where are you? I need help! Jarvis! Jarvis, call a doctor! Call a doctor! Uh, Mr. Mike, what is it? What is it? Out there! Out there in the garden! What? He's gone! Who's gone, sir? He was right there. He was there. It was the go... No, I'd rather not tell. It's all Gloria over. Gloria omnia divisa est in partis tres. There, listen. All Gaul is divided into three parts. He's reciting the opening lines of Caesar's history of the Gallic Wars. You mean to say you can't hear that? Of course he can't, Perry. He's not an old friend like you and I are. Send him away so I can reappear. No, no, I'm getting out of here. I've had enough. Mr. Will, Perry, wait. you can't run away from a ghost. You know that. Besides, we've got so much to talk about. The Gallic Wars, that business about Antony and Cleopatra. Please, all sorts Mr. Of White, please. Do you mean to say you can't hear what he's saying? What who says? All I can hear is a few crickets. Uh. Great suffering catfish! I wouldn't summon up any catfish if I were you, Perry. Dreadful, squirmy little thing. Don't tell me what to do and don't try to be funny! Oh, please, please. Uh, come on now. Please, please try and control yourself. Things have taken an unusual turn in Metropolis. Wow, look at that. Clark Kent editor. Well, I always knew you'd make the grade. Congratulations, now Chief. Now, just relax. That's only for a day or two. But it won't be if the Chief's that bad. He may not get well for years. Inspector Henderson's going to be upset about it. I just phoned his office, and they said he was on the way down here. Come in. Kent, what have you people done to that man? To Mr. White? But we haven't done... Do you know that the Morley gang trial comes up tomorrow, do you? Of course we know. And our whole case depends on the testimony of Perry White. I don't suppose that concerns you. Well, there's no reason he won't be able to testify. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. Except for one little thing. White saw Morley here and there before he was murdered by one of his own gang. So White's testimony concerns seeing things. Right? Right. Well, the district attorney and I have just come from visiting White. We went out there to go over what he's going to say in court before they start cross-examining him. 
Oh, oh, what a witness he'll make. Now, wait a minute, Bill. I know the chief's upset, but I'm sure he'll come through for you. They'll ask White if he saw Morley here and there, and he'll say yes. They'll ask him, does he know what he sees, and he'll say yes. They'll ask him, did he ever see a ghost, for instance, and he'll say yes. What do you mean, a ghost? Oh, I know. I feel sorry for him as you do. He couldn't possibly testify in court the condition he's in. Our star witness against that gang, and he's gone completely off his rocker. Did he actually tell you he saw a ghost? Whose ghost? Oh, I don't know. He simply said he had to study his Latin and kicked us out. What? You know, the poor man's so mixed up, he doesn't talk like he used to anymore. He kept saying, great jingle bells. Great jingle bells? <laughs> That's funny. You mean instead of great Caesar's... Lois, I think I'd better get out there. But Clark, you're the editor, and we've got to go to press. I'll go, Chief. You'll what? I mean, Mr. Kent, look, I've been sure all along there's something fishy about what's been happening to Mr. White. If I can prove the Morley gang's behind it... You mean they're driving him out of his mind so he can't testify against them? Well, they're all out loose on bail, aren't they? Yes. Jimmy, this is more of a job for Superman. Well, I'm afraid Superman hasn't seen anything wrong so far. But he hasn't even been out there. Hey, whatever happened to Superman anyway? Well, I've been so chained to this desk that... Don't I... bother. If I get in any trouble, I'll find Superman myself. Now, just a minute, Jimmy. I'll phone you when I get out there this evening, Chief. And don't call me Chief! Jimmy arrives at the country house later that night with Superman not far behind him. Both of them hear Caesar speaking to Perry. While Perry sleeps, they also hear Jarvis talking to Caesar and the coffee delivery man, both of whom are in the Morley gang. Sound asleep. Hi, Jarvis. Oh, uh, hello, Julius. Wait, Jimmy. That's Mr. White's room right through there. Listen. Why, why can't you leave now? Why can't you let him alone? Well, not till after the trial. Besides, I'm beginning to enjoy this. <laughs> but why do you have to lay it on so thick with all this raving and ranting? If poor Mr. White has to listen to this without a rest, he, he will go out of his mind. That's what he's supposed to do. But you told me you weren't going to hurt him. Why, the other day, he nearly jumped out of that airplane, searching for your voice, Julius. What if something worse happens to the poor creature? Well, go on, Superman, do something. Wait, Jimmy. We're going to have to help Mr. White. Besides, we need his testimony in court to help convict those men. But wait till I leave him. Jimmy and Superman unsuccessfully try to convince Perry that the ghost is merely a fake. Jimmy and Superman will need to get more proof of this, for it could help the chief when he testifies in the trial. Morley, according to police files, often wore an overcoat and a derby hat. Inspector Henderson believes the rest of the gang killed Morley for control of the, all the confidence schemes and rackets in Metropolis. Now, with Jimmy tape recording everything, Superman will be disguised as Morley to hopefully get a confession out of Julius Caesar, the delivery man, and maybe even Jarvis. All right, Perry, time for another talk. Okay. There I am. I'm glad you don't resist me anymore. You do trust me now, don't you? Oh, sure, sure. Do you believe in ghosts too, Julius? Who said that? There's no one there. Here I am. I can materialize as fast as lightning. But that's nothing for a ghost to do, is it, Julius? Who are you? Where'd you get that coat? This is Marley's coat. And Marley's hat, too. So I must be Marley, right? Only Marley's dead, isn't he? So I must be his ghost. There's no such thing as ghosts. Careful. It's a trick. Oh, you don't believe me. Well, watch. Where is he? Where did he go? Look this way, gentlemen. There's nothing to doing this, is there, Julius? Now, let's see you do it. You shouldn't have any trouble if you're really a ghost, not just a man wearing phosphorescent paint. Let me out of here. It is Morley. Stand back. You're crazy. 
Go on, shoot. Look, he... he isn't hurt. They just... they couldn't have bounced off of him. They must have gone straight through him. Yes, it looks like I really am a ghost, doesn't it? Morley's ghost. Come to haunt you, Julius. We didn't mean to kill you, Morley. He did it. He did it. He helped me. Well, we all killed you, Morley. All right, boys, that does it. Give me your gun. Put your hands up. Well, Inspector, you have a complete confession. Jimmy has the whole thing on his tape recorder. Mr. White, I think you can believe now that our friend here is just a fraud. A plain flesh and blood crook. We'll put these birds in jail for the rest of their lives, which probably won't be long. Great Caesar's ghost. <laughs> Fade to credits. Fade to credits, yep. <laughs> oh, and you had mentioned, I think it was last time you were on, that you recalled Superman laughing after that? Yes, yes. If you listen very closely after it fades out, you can hear it. You can hear him start to laugh. Yeah, I heard that today, actually, or yesterday when I listened to it again. I, I wanted to make sure, and I got real close and cranked that sucker and right, headphones. Yeah. And I went, oh, he is laughing. So they've cut, the, they've cut the visual that fades to black, just as Perry says, Great Caesar's ghost. It's fading. It's at black while, as he says, T on the ghost. And then you hear George start to laugh just a little bit. Yeah. And then, it, yeah. And then the audio fades out, too, and cuts the yeah. credits. Right. This is a fun one. I enjoy watching this episode. It's so much fun. I think there's a couple times, though, that George Superman says the Marley gang instead of the Morley gang. Yeah. And I often thought that was funny because it's Bob Morley. But a couple of times, George Reeves Superman is saying Bob Marley. Well, they never said his first name. Didn't they? I thought his name was Bob. Oh, you're right. The Morley confidence thing. Right. He was just Morley. But, Honestly, uh, whenever he would actually mispronounce the name as Marley, yeah, I would. I was thinking of, and maybe that's just because of the time of year this is. I was thinking of a Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. I got you. With the ghost of well, Marley was... visiting Scrooge. Right. Right. That's not bad too. What was Marley's first name? I don't remember. In that, I don't remember his first. Ebenezer and. <sighs> I don't remember Marley's first name, but. The whole hmm. ghost of Marley coming back to visit them. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, I can go with that. I'll go yeah. with that. So this episode was actually loosely based on a comic story of the same name. Right. Superman number 91, covered dated August 1954. And there, the scheme wasn't criminal, but Clark Kent arranged a hoax to bolster the confidence of the Daily Planet's drama critic. So, I haven't read this. I have to make Wait a, a minute. Give me the date again. 19... 50, Superman number 91, 1954. And this episode was 1955. These were so. filmed at 54, and this, so it's possible. The next one we talk about is also loosely based on a comic story. Right. And we have to remember the comics people are involved at this point, so. Yeah. They could have just yeah. brought over a script. Exactly. The comic didn't have to be actually completed. So, apparently, according to this, if this is right, i got to track down some of these and read these, just because I'm curious. Clark impersonated Scratchy's his ghost? Oh, no, the, was it the drama critic do it? Well, somebody did. Somebody did. Right. And to save Perry from forced retirement by having the supposed Caesar demand that he get some nude scoops worthy of taking Great Caesar's name in vain. I don't know. I, I think this episode sounds a lot better. Yeah, it's you'd have to you'd have to. I'd have to read the story uh, to read the story to see. Read it. it doesn't ring a bell to me right off the top of my head, and since I don't have an original of Superman number ninety one, no, 
I'm close. I have a few in that era. I've got 89, 90, 93, and 95, I think. Right. Got a few in the 90s, which was actually in the 50s. What do you think of this opening phone call for Perry to Clark? Oh, just it sets up the premise so well to let us know that Perry is not quite thinking straight, is he? No, he is not. Yeah, I think that's interesting, and it's a good way to start it off, and it lets the viewer know instantly that even more than normally, Perry is agitated, right, upset, anxious for no apparent reason. And not only that, the stuff he is now saying to Clark on the phone is a little loony bins. Right. Well, he, he's agitated from the beginning because he yells at the phone. He yells at Clark before he even answers the phone. <laughs> oh, right. Answer the right. phone. <laughs> right. I'm kind of wondering what time this is. Uh, late, apparently. apparently. 11 late. is what I was getting the feeling it was 10, 30, 11 at okay. night. Clark well, Clark makes, mentions. Yeah, he, he mentions. Says, isn't it a little, because he says nothing. What's wrong? And Clark's, isn't it a little late to call if nothing's the matter? Right. And and Perry kind of goes on in this tirade. And what seems to have been set up right away is that for some reason, Perry doesn't want to go home. Right. Because he makes that, he says that line, it's my home. I don't have to go there if I don't want to. Right. And this gets kind of revisited a, a few scenes later. But he does not want to go home. And so we learn through the exposition of this phone call that uh, Perry is going to testify against Morley's gang. Morley may be dead, but Inspector Henderson is relying on his testimony. And would you say Perry's a little paranoid here? Uh, a little bit, although he doesn't really know it. No. I like the visual of him walking around with his phone. Yeah, with dragging the cord. And it was a straight cord, long cord, right. old type telephone. Yeah, really nice. This is probably not something you really want to do too much in 1955. Because if you walk around too much, you're going to get yourself tangled up. Right, but we all did it. Everybody right. did it. We did it. Yes, I'm old enough to have had a dial phone with a long cord. We had one phone in the house. It sat in the hallway on a table right. with a chair and a tablet and the phone book. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a phone book. They used to actually publish phone numbers in a book. They still do. Actually, they do. You're right. <laughs> they still do, as a matter of fact. While Perry's on the phone with Clark, he hears something. Clark identifies it as the elevator. And it is. It is. Yeah. So we get a coffee delivery man, and he <clears throat> brings some coffee. And now this is something else for continuity buffs out there. There have been, to my memory, at least three times, first season, a couple times, where Perry has had coffee. And... I think he took it black, and now this time it's two lumps. Yes, that's the way I like it, or that's the way I take my coffee, I think is the way he said. So continuity buffs, how does Perry White actually take his coffee? Black or with two sugars? Well, if he hasn't been home in three in, in a few days and uh, he's working all night. Yeah, he may not even remember how he takes his coffee. He might need some sugar to keep himself awake. <laughs> right. In addition to the caffeine. So he doesn't remember whether he ordered the coffee, but it sounds right to him. Two lumps of sugar, and well, you know what? No milk in it so, or cream, so it may still be black. Um, okay. But either way, Perry does not remember ordering it, and he, think, and he thinks it's ticking. But he drinks it anyway. Well, no, he never takes it out of the bag. Oh, that's right. He thinks there's a bomb in it. If you, li if you listen to the audio, <laughs> you do hear something ticking. Tick, 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 tick. But for all we know, it could be Perry's watch. Yeah, it could have been anything. Because Perry's freaking out. So Clark takes that opportunity to uh, fly over there to Superman. Superman flies in a nice daytime shot. Unfortunately, it's the middle of the night. 
<laughs> but that's okay. They've they've only made a, they've only done a couple of shots. Oh, jeez. So, so you know, even Superman is worried about Perry here, right? But no one can figure out what's wrong. Yeah, you know, Perry is about to tell Superman what he's hearing, but then changes his mind. It seems like Perry wants to say something. Oh yeah, he definitely wants to say something, but then he knows in his own brain he he, he goes through the you can almost see the wi- the wheels turning that well, I want to tell but if I tell they'll think I'm crazy and maybe I am crazy. Yeah. But I will say that for all the crap Superman gave Jimmy in Lady in Black, yeah. Maybe you should give Perry the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. You should think in some of these, you know, episodes like that that since you're used to your cast of characters coming into weird situations right that maybe when they say something is weird your first thought should not be to dismiss them no is to actually look into it yeah i think modern tv i think one of the dc tv shows nowadays actually did something like that something happened and one of the cast members was telling the other one this crazy thing and they were about to dismiss them and they said uh excuse me aliens right and then they, oh yeah, right. Hmm. So, but yeah, I think they're they're handling some of that a little better now. But in right. those days, nah. You know, you want to do, you know. Here and they needed they needed to build it up more that right. that Perry might be a little crazy. Right. And right, because we got to remember he's talking to a man who can fly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you would think he'd at least look into the weird. So obviously, Superman holds up the bag and says, "No, nah, it's just coffee." And we're sure that Superman knows it's just coffee. Uh, yeah. So. And even Superman is trying to kind of pass along the message that Clark has been trying to pass on. You know, maybe Perry needs needs a rest for a few days. So, How did nope. Perry react to that suggestion? <laughs> yeah, he didn't like it very much. <laughs> no, he didn't. But I'll tell you this, he was much more polite to Superman about it than he, than he will be to right. Lois and Jimmy in the next scene. Right. I guess eventually just kind of leaves because... Right. These next two scenes are pretty cool, too. Pretty yeah. good. I think all the cast is kind of into the, the flow of this one. This is another couple of good scenes coming up. So the next scene we have is uh, Jimmy getting screamed at by Perry White. Normally, there's nothing to see here. We just move along because Perry is always screaming at Jimmy. And we don't know why, but Lois and Clark are listening at the door. And this is where we get our first mention of, of Jarvis. Because apparently uh, Jarvis brought Perry his laundry. <laughs> or is going to pick up the suit that he's been wearing for the past three days. Right. And one thing now, because the plot demands it, after years of working with Perry, Lois and Clark are going to choose now to make an issue of him saying Great Caesar's ghost all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, they don't like it. So we find out when they go in that Clark asks Perry about a voice he suddenly heard, and uh, apparently Perry wanted Jimmy to interview a dead ball player. Yeah. Didn't Jimmy say something before when he got the assignment? Because this ball player probably would have been dead before Jimmy was even born. Yes, Jimmy did say something. I think that's right. part of that was part of the whole argument and telling you blah 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 blah, yelling I, at him. I, I wonder how long this has been uh, going on because it doesn't sound like the first time Perry and Jimmy have had this conversation. No, and I think that was an interesting. That's an interesting point. Is that that like the other thing we were talking about? time-wise, the timey-wimey thing. I get the feeling that Perry's odd behavior has been going on for at least several days. Right. It's been going on for if, some time. Yeah, at least several days. And normally, you don't. this is a different dynamic. Because instead of uh, Jimmy kind of exuberantly getting himself into trouble, Jimmy's pleading with him. Yeah. 
And Jimmy's kind of standing up on his own here. He's kind of saying, Chief, you're wrong, buddy. Right. <laughs> you know? So. Well, uh, well, this is a very good episode for Jimmy, too. Yeah, it is. It and, really is. Especially because, you know, as we he- heard in the synopsis, Jimmy is pretty much the one who cracks the case. Yes. He is the first one. He's going to be the first one to suggest that the Morley gang is doing this to him. Right. And doesn't doesn't stop. Normally, he'll let somebody stop him as he's, you know, crazy kid on the do- on the way out the door. Stop that crazy kid. Right. Uh, this time, he just says, and I'll do it, and just goes out on his own. Right. Which was very cool. Of course, Superman shows up to, to help him out. Yeah. yeah. But good for you, Jimmy. And I really liked, you know, at the end, and we'll get to this, that it's Superman and Jimmy doing it. It is. Superman it is. and Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen on an adventure. This, again, would be a good comic book if they did this story closer to this than the one you talked about earlier, which I'm not familiar. I'll have to look up 91 myself. Yeah. But, but yeah, go ahead. Next. Next. Uh, so uh, apparently uh, Perry is going to give Lois the business, too, because apparently he has some trouble with some work she's going to do. And and then he finally remembers why he called Clark. His feet get cold. Right. Well, yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> he sh- maybe he should wear some uh, thicker socks with his long with his red long johns. <laughs> yeah. yeah that was why and uh he's going he's going to see henderson and he'll be back in five minutes and i want that moved from there to there it would take him it's, it's got to take him five minutes to get to the bottom get to the bottom just of the to elevator. get down the elevator exactly and of course you know i thought this was an interesting line clark says well gee it's sunday chief and plumbers have a strong union well it's not <laughs> it's, it's not sunday anymore no i'm guessing it's monday now Probably. Because last night, yesterday when he called, it was Sunday. I don't know why he's calling about the heater at 11 o'clock at night. You're not going to get a plumber at 11 o'clock at night either. No. No. You know, unless you're swimming in your house. So, Perry, after Perry leaves, because he's going to be back in five minutes, I can only wonder how close police headquarters is. I've often wondered that, too. Sometimes it's almost like it's a block away or it's, you know, pretty close. It would still take you five minutes just to get there. Right. And... Again, they mentioned to him that they, they want him to take a rest. He's not having it. And I like how when they all... So Lois sees the paper dolls that Perry apparently cut into whatever paper <laughs> she uh, created. Mm-hmm. And Clark kind of chases them away and he's going to fix the heater. And, well, love Jimmy's line as he leaves. Might need Superman to help him move the heater. <laughs> yeah. So, everything that has happened since Perry has left has happened. And he's still walking to the elevator. Perry oh, I, yes, right. All that happened, all that conversation happened, and Perry's still not at the elevator yet. Yeah. Maybe he had to stop, at, maybe he had to stop at the men's room on the way out. Right. Forgot his hat. Well, that was even before the hat. So he comes back in. This is where Perry cracks. And because he thinks he's seeing things as Clark is bending the pipes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make the obvious leap. No, no. That Clark no. is Superman. Which, if he had all of his faculties at this point, he probably would have. Well, he would have said something. Can't. What the hell are you? Whoa. Right. No. Don't tell. You're yeah. wearing that ridiculous costume on under that. Yeah. Instead, he kind of collapses into his chair. Oh, I guess you're right. I need a rest. He doesn't. He's going to go uh, home. Okay. Okay. And, and Lois and Jimmy come back in. Nobody mentioned. Nobody noticed all the bent pipes laying around. No. And I think that was interesting, too, because Jimmy paid close attention to it as they were leaving, even making the comment about how hard it would be to get whatever. Right. And then he comes back in with Chief, you know, practically passed out. But I guess they're also concerned about Perry. Right. That, but they uh, could have just glanced over to the wall and say, wow, five minutes ago, that heater was over there. And those yeah. two pipes were over. 
Hmm, cool. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. And nobody's not paying any attention to that. But Perry is going to go home. And now Perry is on a plane. Well, he w- going more than home, going somewhere else. Right. They, his, call, they uh, call it home to the country. Maybe this is like his, his, summer, con- his summer home his or something like retreat, that. His retreat, his getaway or whatever. Because right. I think Perry has several places. We've seen him leave to go to several places, including saying he's going to spend the night at the newspaper club. He's done that a bunch in season one. Right. In uh, Jimmy Olsen, boy editor, he was just sleeping at home. They don't really say where home is, but right. you're led to believe it's, it's in the city. It's in the city somewhere, right. So very interesting. But yes, this time he's going to uh, one of his homes anyway, right. where he needs a plane to get there. Well, Lois does mention when they're, when he, she and Clark are hanging at the door that in the planet's plane they can get there in a few minutes. Mm, okay. And Jimmy is going to get there on his own without a plane. True. True. So it can't be that far. True. Good point. Although, Good if, point. if it's that close, I'm not sure what a plane's going to do. Right. And they don't really give us a timeline. I mean, it could have been in the afternoon when Jimmy left Clark. And by the time he got there and then Superman caught up with him, it's definitely night. They're right. outside spying on stuff. And it's obviously nighttime and dark. So, maybe, so we'll give, we'll so give him the benefit. A two or three hour drive. Right, we'll give them a little benefit on this one, that there is some uh, a length of time passed uh, in order for Olsen to get there, because he was just getting there. So, yeah, so maybe it's 100 miles or so. It could be, and then Clark right. finished getting the paper out and then changed to Superman and still had plenty of time as Superman to fly. But Jimmy having to drive there or take public transportation or some kind, who knows right. how he actually got there. But we'll assume he took maybe the planet car. Right. That light blue convertible they use all the time. Well, it is established in a later episode that Jimmy does have his own car. Really? Hmm. Yeah, he took one. Of, uh, oh, right, 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 right. In the uh, the town that the wasn't. town that wasn't, he had his own car, and you're right. He's driving. He's driving his own car way later on in the Perils of Superman. Right, right, right. Clark is checking out the plane that's flying toward Perry's home, and this is when Perry starts hearing the voice when he utters his third Great Caesar's ghost of the episode. So here's the voice. It's calling to him. You kept count of Great Caesar's ghosts in the episode, huh? Early on, I did, yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so in the plane, this is the third time. That I that I counted. I could be wrong, but I've only counted three. Okay. There was one in the phone call with, with Clark. Mm-hmm. At least one in the conversation with Jimmy. Right. And Well, either way, I counted, I counted three. I could be wrong. Okay. I'll go along with it. All right. I, never, I didn't count them. Sounds about right. We're in the fourth or fifth scene, so. This is where Perry mentions that this voice has only been at his home, and that's why he doesn't want to go back. Right. So. He says that to Superman? No, he says that that to the plane. To him. He says that in the plane. Okay, but to himself. You've never been anywhere except for my home. That's why I don't want to go back there. Right. that That ties back to Perry not wanting to go home. Right, 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 right. But Superman hasn't actually gotten there to keep him. Right now, he hears the voice. He says, I'm going to find you. And he starts looking around the airplane. Right. He's so to, desperate to find this voice. That he opens the door. To, and flies out. And personally, right. I think it's a little bit too easy for Perry to open this door. Way too easy. But, you know, you know. I guess you could do that for a private plane. Right. I really like this sequence, though. With Superman coming up or the Perry talking to the, the voice? Well, the whole thing. Like, right as you see Perry opening the door. Right. The music kind of swells up. Yes, and Clark ru- and Clark runs off. 
Yes. You know, so there you go. It's a, it is a great sequence and, and great timed. Yeah. And I love, uh, I'm with you. I love when Clark looks out the window, uses his supervision, right. sees what's going on, turns quickly and runs, and you just get some, that's a really good scene. If, You're this, right. if this show gave us shirt rips, we'd get one here. Oh, absolutely. If this show gave, was inclined to give us them, give them to us. Right, right. So, so obviously, as Perry opens the door, Superman just kind of shoves him back in. Right, and then Superman comes in. This is interesting here, too, in this this bit, because Perry is finally, you know, saying that he heard whatever, voices right. or whatever. And Superman uses his X-ray vision to check the plane and says, well, there's no one here except Jarvis and the, and pilot. the pilot. And I see no tape recording devices right. or playing devices at all. Nothing right. here. So, and they never tell us then, well, then where the hell did the voice come from that Perry heard? Because we know, obviously, by the, the story that it's fake, that they're making him crazy. So you could understand because he said at first he'd only heard the voice in his house. Right. Now you're here in the plane. I'm going to well, know. I'm obviously, gonna, they bugged the house somehow. I'm going to no prize this. Okay, no prize. How does how do they make the voice there, but Superman can't see it? I don't. Did planes have like a PA system in the 1950s? Yes. I'm not it. sure what I'm not sure what a small probably that I think that's a little single engine right eight seat small okay. plane. Could I'm C- not sure if they could, had it. Could Caesar be the pilot? That was my no prize. That's where I was going to go. And he's just in the pilot saying the lines, and maybe he's saying it loud enough that Perry can hear it. Exactly. See, that was where I was going to go. That at my first thought was, well, maybe Jarvis had a little portable tape recorder thing in his pocket. But I'm thinking, no, in 1955, uh, I don't think it, or uh, I don't think it was small enough. I don't think they could have done that. Even if he could have, Superman would have seen it. And then that was the other part. Superman would have seen it when he checked. So the only way for them to have the voice there, but Superman not be able to see it. That means that it was either Jarvis doing the voice, which is highly unlikely, right. or the pilot was Caesar. And that's kind of the only way I'm, I think we can go because Superman. Well, that's what I came up with. That Superman was my... knows there's only there's only three people on this plane other than him. Exactly. Perry, Jarvis, and the pilot. And the pilot. And when Superman checks both front and back, I see no devices of any kind that could make the sound. Of a human voice. Exactly. So. Uh, that was my no prizes. That's what I came up with as well, thinking that, well, the only way that could have happened, because they could bug his house. They could, right. you know, put little speakers. They could make it, you know, yeah, that part of it until Caesar's ready to actually appear. But on the plane, when Superman checks it out, it's only that's the only solution right. that they leave us with is that Jarvis, uh, not Jarvis, but uh, the pilot is it's, Great Caesar's ghost. Now I'm going to leave that there. And I think I that's the that. only way it can be. We, I agree ne- with we you. never see the pilot. No, we don't. So, and that does kind of bring up one of my one of my quibble nitpicks about this episode. Mm-hmm. Perry is the star witness in this trial. Wouldn't he know who these people are? Uh, well, he would know who Morley is, and he would know who maybe that other gangster that shows up in the last scene is. But that's a good question too, because to me, uh, after these the thing ends, it brings up other questions. Wouldn't Jarvis seems to be all tight with these guys do these guys have something on jarvis how long has jarvis been perry white's i want to say butler he's not i don't know if he's a butler or not but his he kind, of fun- he kind of functions as one he kind of functions as an alfred how long has he been with perry the thing is at the end when they're all confessing right after caesar says we didn't mean to kill you morley jarvis points out 
The delivery man says he did it. He did it. So exactly. That, that kind of we well we know from what happened that he's in on it. Right. So so he, he Perry acts just as didn't know he's part of it. Well, then Perry just didn't know the entire Morley gang, and whatever his testimony was must have been about Morley himself and not necessarily the rest of the gang. Right. Because that's kind of what was happening anyway. The gang was trying to make Perry go crazy so they could eat more easily take over the the confidence racket. Right. Well, we don't actually know what the trial was about. No, no, we don't. No. We just know whatever Perry was going to say was going to send these guys up the river. Right. You know, but not all of them, apparently. But we don't actually know what the, he, what was going to happen. Right. I don't know if it was for Morley's death or for what. No idea. Well, anyway. But I did. But I do like the the explanation that it had to have been Great Caesar's ghost or whatever his name was. Whatever, Did they ever? They ever? They don't ever give him his real name either, do they? We don't really. We, the only name we get is Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah. The other so, guy we know as the guy who delivered the coffee. Right, and then the last gangster to show up. There's another gangster. Well, that's the guy who delivered the coffee. Oh, that's the same guy? That's, right, that's right. The third guy who shows up is the guy who delivered the coffee in the first scene. Gotcha, gotcha, right. So that's the gang. The guy playing Great Caesar's Ghost, the guy who delivered the coffee, and, and Jarvis. Even, and even Jarvis later on says, when he talks to Caesar, he calls him Julius. So it's that's like, true, is that's that, true. Is that his name, or like, or is <laughs> he really true. staying in character here? Yeah, why are you doing that, Julius? You said you weren't going to hurt him. Right, and... Interesting. Oh, what if Perry wakes up and sees this? Yeah. Because he already established that he couldn't hear him, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we are. So, all right, so Perry is at home, and he's looking very tired in his robe and his slippers. He has a very nice living room, and he's frustrated by his inability to get some sleep. Pills and milk aren't working. Maybe if he can't rest in the chair, he should go to bed. This house does have a bedroom, you would assume, right? I would assume it has a bedroom. Yes. But he's laying in this easy chair. Maybe he should go to bed. So, he says, Great Caesar's ghost again. And here comes the voice. And Perry goes out into his nice-looking backyard. And then we he eventually sees a white-faced man dressed as an ancient Roman calling himself Great Caesar's ghost. What did you think of this reveal? Well, it was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I thought they did a did a nice little job with this. It was... A little corny, but, you know, thinking back, watching it on a black and white, little black and white set, good job. And I I actually liked it. I thought they did a fine job with this this little bit when we finally see him in kind of white long johns, a white cape, white face and hands, but then kind of gold or bronzed armor and helmet and stuff. I think as far as costuming goes, he looks, he makes a pretty good looking Roman. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, really fine. And the cape looked really cool. Right. Actually. Really liked his cape. And at this point here, Perry is actually convinced he's seeing a ghost. <laughs> because he, the first thing he does is call for Jarvis, who doesn't see, see a anything. He can only hear a few crickets. Right. And Caesar actually chides Perry to send Jarvis away so he can reappear. Which, in the context of what he's doing, makes absolutely no sense. Because well, now that we know, right, after we know that Jarvis was in on it, there would be no reason for Caesar to send Jarvis away. Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. He could have just shown is, up and they'd be in on it. Caesar being gone seems more for the viewer. Yes. To convince he's not there. We can see that he's not there. It shows us what Jar- what we think Jarvis is supposed to be saying. Right. We're still in the dark about Jarvis at this point. Right. We don't know that he's in it until... Uh, well, until Perry passes out, actually. Until, and then Jarvis he, has a... Until he starts talking to Caesar. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's when we find out that, oh, Jarvis is in on it. Right. So we learn that uh, they imply that Caesar has been summoned for the one million times that uh, <laughs> Perry has that great Caesar's ghost. Great Caesar's ghost. It's like one of those shopping sprees. The millionth customer gets a shopping spree. <laughs> right. In this the, 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 millionth this time case, you, yeah. the millionth time you say great Caesar's ghost, you get haunted. <laughs> you get haunted. That's funny. Caesar chides Perry to send Jarvis away so he can reappear, which really makes no sense because if Jarvis is going to play along that he can't see Caesar, Caesar could stand there all he wants and Jarvis will just say he doesn't see anything. Yeah, well, maybe Jarvis is, didn't think he was that good an actor. Maybe not because... To fool him. Didn't want to fool Perry while right in front of Perry. So You have to imagine that Jarvis can hear Caesar clearly. Oh, absolutely. But he only hears a few crickets. Yeah, and, so he's faking that. And because... Uh, and I love this line coming up. Because he's now afraid of saying Great Caesar's ghost, he says, Great suffering catfish. <laughs> Great suffering catfish. That's and, almost Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. Yeah, and you gotta wonder if after a million times will he be visited by a catfish. <laughs> I wouldn't be dragging up any catfish there, Perry. <laughs> yeah, Caesar doesn't make that joke. <laughs> and, uh, and Perry is not, ha- not having it. So yeah. that's just a great opening scene with Caesar. Mm-hmm. And then I'm guessing we we get to what is the next morning. And I guess as was typical in this era, whenever Perry is out of commission, Clark takes charge of the planet. Yeah, at this time period, Clark is second in command, first officer at the Daily Planet. Right. Whenever Perry can't be there and someone needs to jump into the editor's chair, which I think is interesting. So they've done that with Clark, and I'm just thinking of this. They've done it with Clark a couple of times where he's been the editor. You got one coming up that's that I don't know, is it this I don't remember when it is the guy with the submarine that's going to blow up Perry because Perry is a scientist and that's coming oh, up. Oh yeah, I, I know uh, which one you're talking about. Yeah, and a great actor. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. He was in a lot of westerns and stuff back in the day. Uh, but they did that too. Clark was the editor in that one too when Perry went away. Right. So the only people that have been editor when Perry was not was Clark. And then Jimmy for boy editor. Lois was never editor, temporary or otherwise. Right. Well, Jimmy was well, never never really editor either. Uh, for a day. For a day he was, but. For a day. I talked about guy. I talked about that already, though, so I'm not going to talk about that again. Boy editor. <laughs> so, apparently, uh, Perry must have called and said he's retiring. Right. And so the Daily Planet must have a publisher or something because somebody installed uh, Clark as editor. Somebody gave him this job against his will. I'm not sure if Perry has the authority to an- announce his successor. Maybe he does. Yeah, I think he does. I think Perry is practically as high as you get sometimes at that paper. They give you the impression, particularly like in one of the early seasons and stuff, where he's calling to get the paper and I order rah, 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 and yelling at people. And I think Perry, maybe with all of his big bucks, you know, right. he. He's got plenty of places, so he might be editor-publisher, publisher-editor. Right. Might even be owner-publisher-editor, as in Superman, I guess that was four? He uh, owned enough shares, so he was probably owner yeah. and... Owner or something, so, yeah. We never saw anything after that, so we don't know. Right. But, anyway, doesn't really matter. Clark is the editor, Perry is not. And they changed that door name really quickly, so. And, of course, the, what is the first thing Jimmy calls Clark? Hi, Chief! Yep. And then right after that, I love how Henderson comes in demanding to know what the Daily Planet staff has done to Perry. This is a great scene. Henderson yeah. is so 
upset. And the dialogue they do back and forth with each other is really, really good between Henderson and Clark. Well, what's the matter, Bill? He'll do fine. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> They'll ask him. They'll ask him. They'll ask him right. if he's ever talked to... What? Right. Yeah, it's a really good scene. But that's not what can what turns the key that something is wrong. After all that, they're still Perry is going to be fine. What gives them all pause is that he's suddenly saying great jingle bells. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is okay. what gives them pause. <laughs> right. Great. What? He's saying great jingle bells. And this, I guess, is where Jimmy finally says he's thought the Morley gang was in on it the whole time and he's going to go figure well, it out. Right after what Clark, the, the man Clark does, because he's like sitting there wearing great jingle bells, then he's like, oh, no, no, wait a minute. He normally says great Caesars, go. And then, and then he connects it to the question about having seen a ghost. Right. And that's when he's, he's thinking of something right here. The wheels are turning because he's, he's ready to leave. Right, and he's ready to go, but then they tell him, Clark, we got to get a paper out here. You have to stay behind that desk. Right. This is when Jimmy has his moment. And it's, a good one, too. It's it a, is good a good moment. One. Jimmy takes charge. I kind of like that after all the, the stuff between Jimmy and Perry, that it's Jimmy who comes up with what's really wrong with, with the chief. Right. And Jimmy's very concerned. Jimmy, he you know, he, he's very concerned about the chief. Clark doesn't actually tell Jimmy not to go, but you can tell Clark is trying to rein him in a little bit. Right. But... He's not going to listen. He's going to vex Clark as he's vexed Perry so much. And Clark yells, don't call me chief, Adam. <laughs> and they actually laugh a little bit when they do that. Henderson yeah. looks back at him. Yeah. I think Lo was Lois in the room too? Yeah, they were all there, yeah. It was Noel Neal? Because um, I think when he does that, when he yells, and don't call me chief, yeah, they all I think they everybody looks at him and kind of laughs as they fade to black right. or whatever. It kind of reminds yeah. me of that moment in Jimmy Olsen Boy Editor. When uh, right. Legs Lemming comes into the office and Jimmy's like, great Caesar's ghost. Yeah, I think that was a good scene, too. And <laughs> because it, and it, you would only say that if you're the editor of the Daily Planet. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, you know, in this very serious moment. So I think the, the laugh, it was almost as if Robert Shane and Noel Neal didn't know George Reeves was actually going to say, don't call me chief. By the way they, to me, the way they look back at him, it looks unscripted. Maybe it is. I don't know. I might be reading too much into that. But it looked to me in that split second, they looked back at him and laughed as if it was unscripted or they didn't know it was coming. Well, that you, it almost if, it was, like, if it was scripted, you think they would know it was coming. Yes, because it looked to me like the scene was supposed to end with Jimmy running out saying, whatever, chief, and slamming the door. Right. But Clark yells out, don't call me. It's such a perfect way to end that scene. Yeah, it really was. So so a really good scene all in all, the whole, and all of this. This, you know what? I, really good. I could see George Reeves throwing that in there. Yeah. George as an Reeves, ad lib. Because yeah. George Reeves could probably do pretty much whatever he wants. Yeah, very definitely. But because, you know, because you know, there are stories that George was a little temperamental on the set. Mm hmm. So, if, so uh, if George wanted to throw an ad lib in, I don't think anyone was going to tell him no. Right. Well, according to the movie Hollywoodland, starring Batman, I right. mean, <laughs> Ben Affleck. As George Reeves. Right. Apparently, there was a lot of George Reeves fooling around both on and off set. Right. You know, if you can believe it or not. And I tend to believe it. I think they well, did enough research and they did it. Even Jack Larson has said in one of the commentaries that there would be times when George would just walk off the set. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I believe uh, he, this was in the semi-private commentary, he told George once, if you're going to mm. walk off the set, don't come back. Mm. Because then we have to stay longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait for you to come back. Right. It's funny. So, 
but yeah, good scene, good scene. That that, that is a good scene. So now we go back to uh back to the uh, the summer home, and uh, Jimmy has arrived at uh, Perry's, and Caesar is in there talking. We hear him through the doorway, and as Superman shows up, he tells Jimmy that Jimmy tells him rather that he heard voices in there. So obviously they both heard it. Perry goes to sleep. Now remember how Jarvis couldn't see Caesar before? Sees him pretty well now, doesn't yeah, he? He's, he's talking to him. Yeah. And uh, Caesar's rather enjoying the role here. Right. So, But now for the the viewer is now in on the fact that Jarvis is also part of the plan, the scheme to make Perry go crazy. And I'm getting the feeling that Jarvis is starting to get a little squeamish here. Yeah. Because he says to Caesar, oh, if you keep doing this, he is going to go out of his mind. Right. And he refers to Perry as the poor creature. So I think he started to feel sorry for Perry a little bit here. And then, of course, the... Uh, Third man comes walking in. He's the coffee salesman from earlier in the episode, which is actually the first time I realized that was when I watched it for this. You mm-hmm. see what you notice when you're paying attention? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's my, me making my note from before about Jarvis calling the ghost Ju- Caesar Julius, unless that's actually his name. So they all It leave. is interesting they kept him in character of that. Right. Because normally he would have called him... Whatever. G. George. Right, whatever whatever his name is. Right. Perry is agitated. Superman and Jimmy come in and wake him up, and, well, Jimmy tells uh, Perry that the ghost is a fake, and Perry gets very insulted. Listen, yeah, you young whippersnapper. Mr. Caesar is a guest in my home. So for all you people going to visit, other others, if uh, they have a fake ghost in their house, don't tell them. Don't tell them. They're going to get upset. You should never yeah. insult other people's guests. No. If that guest wants to think he's a ghost... Well, let them think that it's his house. It's there. It's his house. Yep. Just have another glass of wine or something, <laughs> or another beer. That gets them thrown out of uh, out of Perry's house. And so Superman has a plan. He goes to Henderson to get a picture of Morley because clearly uh, Superman didn't know Morley very well. Mm. So he brings Jimmy a tape recorder. Uh, a tape recorder. Yes. And Superman gets his new wardrobe, probably from the same place that he got uh, his two dollar. Used pants from the, uh, what was that? The man, man in the lead mask, I believe. Right. Did you catch a very slight secret identity snafu here? Uh, a, a slight what? Secret identity snafu. Superman hmm. re- refers to Perry as the chief. As, really? As Clark would. He says, we'll show you and the chief what happens when one ghost sees another. So you and the chief, what happens? Superman refers to Perry as the chief. While he's in the Morley outfit? While he's Superman, as he's putting it on. Oh, 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 but he's telling that to Jimmy. Right, but Superman is calling Perry the chief. That's true. He is saying to Jimmy, I'll show you and the chief. As as Superman. Superman wouldn't call Perry the chief. You're right, he wouldn't. He would have said Mr. White. Right. He was always, other than to Jimmy, he called Perry, yeah, usually Mr. White. Or Miss Lane. And Miss Lane, right, as Superman. He was much more personal as Clark. Right. Formal as Superman. Very interesting. Okay, I, I missed that. You're right. I, I didn't catch that at all. Jimmy didn't notice. But that was the first time I, I yeah, was the first time I never noticed it. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. So, so Superman is going to pretend to be Morley. And ironically, the man pretending to be a ghost is the one who says there's no such thing as ghosts. Which was great, great <laughs> piece of writing and right. acting and directing all of it. And then was it Jarvis that says careful or was it the other gangster that had come in by that point? They were all there at this point. They were all out. Okay. They were all there. Okay. But as he says, there's no such thing as ghosts. One of them says, hey, hey, careful. Yeah. That, <laughs> I think that was the uh, the third one, the coffee. The third one, right. So no, that was pretty funny. 
I like that a lot. Obviously, they have no idea this is Superman, despite the red cape and red boots sticking out of the overcoat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because when he demonstrates his ability to uh, move, you can see the cape sticking out of the overcoat. Right. So apparently they don't notice that, but... Well, they were scared. Yeah. They, yes. they you know, went along with the derby and long coat. We have no idea whether or not he sounded anything like Morley at all. Exactly. But, and then they shoot him. Right. And I thought that was weird. And Jarvis assumes the bullets <laughs> go right through him. Because he even says they couldn't have just bounced off. Well, why not? The only way that Superman could have made it seem like they went through him is to do one of those super vibrating things that they did in the comics and Flash. Right. Or move really fast like they do nowadays and just catch them all. But... I don't know, unless they went in through the coat and then bounced off his chest, but they stayed inside of the coat. They're just assuming. I think Caesar's... They're just the, assuming. They're not and they were, basing what they're saying on anything. They're just no. assuming that, no, they couldn't have bounced off. They just kind of went straight through. Right. And there were no ricochet sounds of the bullets either. There were not. Those possibly just missed. Yeah. And so normally, though, when bullets bounce off Superman, they add that ricochet sound. A little pinging, yeah. Yeah. And there was no ricochet at all with this. It was just the, the guy shooting his gun and then them assuming that they went through him right. instead of bounced off. What I like about this is that Superman is outsmarting the crooks. Right. Instead of just beating them up. Yeah. I'm just saying anybody, any a real ghost can do this. Come on up and join me here, yeah. Julius. Come on up here, buddy. <laughs> and then, obviously, they tell Morley they didn't mean to kill him. Yeah. And this is where Jarvis points to, I think, the coffee delivery man. And says, mm. he did it. He did it. So, apparently, <laughs> Jarvis was part of the gang, too. Yeah. Or knew the whole plan. Knew right. everything from the beginning. So, he was planted as part of the scheme as Perry's butler. So, we can assume that he was new to Perry or within a relatively short period of time somehow. So, it looked like their venting process. Or what is it called? Their... Their vetting, proce yes. vetting process was not particularly good. No. So, like I said, so then they come and get arrested. And like I said, I'm still kind of wondering what they were on trial for. I'm guessing Our the confidence schemes. Confidence scheme. They just wanted to take over Morley's confidence scheme. But now they wanted they've to be got, the big guys. Now they've got a confession on a new charge. Murder. Right. Bum -ba -dum, so. ba -ba -bum. Does Perry still need to testify uh, tomorrow? Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. And but you're right. They kind of leave that dangling, don't they? I assume they'll have to do that trial again tomorrow, and uh, right. they'll, they'll face new charges for the murder and for what they've done to Perry. I don't know if they'll postpone the trial and put everything in mm -hmm. to one, but so that's where the episode ends, and Perry gives us a great Caesar's ghost for good measure. At the end. And a great look on their two faces. Yeah. If you freeze frame, George Reeves and John Hamilton are looking eye to eye with smiles on their face. It's a just a really terrific little ending bit here of Perry just kind of exhaling and going, Great Caesar's ghost. Yeah, it's very funny. They I, all look like they were having yeah. a lot of fun. I think they did. It, I agree with you. I think it looked like they enjoyed doing this episode. And I enjoyed watching it. I would have liked to have seen a little more Lois. Yeah, wouldn't have been bad, but she, I didn't miss her that much as no, far I as that goes. I, I think, either, you know, and I think the part that Jimmy played was a good one. And uh, I like the fact that uh, Jimmy kind of came up with the idea, even though I think Clark knew it as well. Right. When, when, you know, by the time Jimmy left the office, Clark pretty much knew that there was something weird going on with the whole Great Caesars ghost thing, too. Right. 
but decided, and I'm thinking this is that off the script, no prize kind of didn't show it, but I'm thinking Clark thought by the time Jimmy drives all the way to Perry's house, uh, I'll be able to get the paper out and fly there and That's make sure that nothing else will, will go wrong and Jimmy right. won't be able to screw things up. And as it turns out, he gets there just in the nick of time to uh, keep Jimmy from busting in and screwing the whole thing. Right. So, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I'm not right? sure what Jimmy would have done if Superman didn't show up. I think he was getting ready to go go on in there and say something to try to say, Perry, he's not real. Look, he's not real. I can see him. Yeah. And I think that may have not been as effective as Superman's plan. It probably would have gotten him shot. <laughs> yeah. Could be by the crooks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, fun, fun episode. Fun episode. That is, that is a fun episode. Great Caesar's ghost. Can we stop now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Go get drunk. And then we'll come back and do Test of a Warrior. You think you're looking forward to Test of a Warrior? <laughs> uh, not really. I didn't look forward to watching it either. <laughs> all right. Hang around, folks. Are you willing to follow me on a journey and risk getting lost in a swirling maze of past ages, protected only by our red indestructible capes as we break through the final unexplored realm of the time barrier to explore the fantastic Silver Age adventures of the world's greatest hero, Superman? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast as together we'll follow the Man of Steel, his cousin Supergirl, and his closest friends, Perry White, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, Lana Lang, Batman and Robin, and others in Superman's never-ending quest to defend truth and justice in the pages of Action Comics, Superman, World's Finest Comics, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. Go to the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, available on iTunes and most other podcast aggregators, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, Flipboard, and Stitcher. And after you listen, feel free to send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And unless you request otherwise, I look forward to reading your comments on future episodes. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape, standard safety equipment for traveling through the time barrier. Welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Test of a Warrior. Original broadcast date was May 28, 1955. Writer was Leroy H. Zarin. Director was George Blair. I believe this is his first uh, directorial effort of the season. Too bad it couldn't have been a better one. Guest cast included Lane Bradford as Guri the Bear, Maurice Jara as Red Hawk, George Day Lewis as John Tolstar, Francis McDonald as Great Horse, and Ralph Moody as Okatee the Medicine Man. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. 
your number one source on the web for Superman information. Great Horse has been elected the new chief of his Native American tribe. Great Spirit, hear me. As the sands of time passes through my fingers, so has our chieftain gone to the happy hunting grounds, leaving no son to succeed him. With the voting sticks, we choose another chief. Give us wisdom that our new leader may guide us with the spirit of a warrior. Chief, great horse. Naga, the test of a warrior. It is the law of our tribe, my son. Donaga for the new chief. I must undergo the test. In two days, Donaga. Red Hawk, who has gone to the white man's schools, will bring progress and change, something that is feared by the medicine man, Okati. John Tallstar has come to the offices of the Daily Planet in search of the great white bird, whom we know as Superman. Wow! I mean, how? How do you do? Would you be so kind as to direct me to the office of the editor? Certainly, Chief. I mean, sir. My name is John Tallstar. I'm Jimmy Olsen. How do you do? It's right this way. There's uh, someone to see you, Chief. Don't call me! That'll be all, Olsen. Oh, but let me... That would be all, Olsen! Did you lose your bubble gum? Ugh. I come to you as a messenger. Uh, won't you sit down, sir? Thank you. I am not a chief, nor the son of a chief, so I may not sit in council. Yet I can be of service to Red Hawk. And you come to me with a message from this Red Hawk? Yes, Mr. White. And though I'm much older than he, we have both been to the white man's school. And thus he feels he can depend upon me to make his message clear to you. Well, I'm very flattered that your friend should send you to me. And I'm flattered that you should come. By the way, how did you get here? Fortunately, my family owns oil lands. I flew here in my own plane. I was a pilot in the last war. Well, that's interesting. But the purpose of my visit, Mr. White, is to ask your help. In what way? My friend Red Hawk is much concerned about his father, Great Horse, who has just been elected chief. Well, I should think that would be considered quite an honor. Why is he concerned about it? Because it is the law of the tribes that a chieftain-elect must pass through a great ordeal, a warrior's test. Our people call it Donaga. I think I'm beginning to understand. You're a bit doubtful that Great Horse will be equal to this warrior's test, as you call it. It is almost too much for a young warrior. I think it will kill Great Horse, Mr. White. Then why did he accept the chieftainship? For the sake of our people. His days are numbered. And he knows that if he does pass the test and become chief, Red Hawk will succeed him. Then Red Hawk, as a college graduate, will bring the benefits of modern progress to our tribe. And for this, he's willing to risk his life. Great Horse is a proud man, a stubborn man. He will go through with the test of a warrior. Well, uh, what brings you to the Daily Planet? I seek the only one who can help us. 
There's an ancient legend in our tribe. It tells of a mighty warrior, the greatest fighter, hunter, leader our tribe ever knew. When he died, according to the legend, he flew off into the clouds. Since then, he has become a strong totem, a symbol of health. We call him the Great White Bird. This interests me. Go ahead. A living counterpart of our Great White Bird can be located, I've heard, through your newspapers. I speak of Superman. I've come to ask his help that Great Horse may be saved. Just a moment. Lois. Yes, sir. Will you come in a moment, please, and bring Jimmy Olsen with you? Right away. Clark Kent, who was the one to contact Superman, is away on an assignment. When he returns, I'll speak to him about this. In the meanwhile, your story has news value. Uh, Lois Lane, a staff reporter, can investigate for Mr. Kent. And if you've no objections, I'd like Jimmy Olsen to go with both of you for pictures. Fine. I can fly them to meet Red Hawk. He will welcome the young people. Meanwhile, I will pray for the speedy flight of the great white, I mean, Superman. Reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen have arrived at the Great Horse's reservation. Boy, this is the life, Miss Lane. Real Indians. When may we meet your father? We may be too late. Okati, the medicine man, must have found out I was up to something. He has already started Donaga. And your father? He is praying to the Great Spirit that he may find the strength. The consul awaits him at the cave of the bear. There, the first of the three tests will take place. Come. It is almost time. What's going to happen? The warrior enters the cave blindfolded after the bear has gone in the cave. My father will be unarmed. And he's expected to come out alive? If the gods will it. Jimmy, stand by. I'm driving back to the station to call Clark. I hope he's back in Metropolis. Well, but Jeepers, what can I do? I don't know, Jimmy. But if there's any way to stall, stall. I've got an idea. Wait here. Wise Okati, guardian of the tradition of our tribe, may I speak? Son of Great Horse, Donaga should not be interrupted. Not even if our customs are being violated? Speak. Come, brother. A guest has come to my father's wigwam. A mighty wise man of his people, a young chieftain. In the presence of the consul, you have heard me call him brother. Then, Okati, if we do not bestow membership in our tribe on our guest, we will offend our ancestors, and all else must wait. It shall be done. Let your brother be seated with the consul. Lois has gone to call Clark Kent while Jimmy does what he can to stall the first test. In order to not offend the great ancestors, Red Hawk asked that Jimmy be made a member of the tribe. His Native American name is Sagoa, which means Big Cough, in reaction to what happened when Jimmy smoked the peace pipe. Now, the cup reporter must act like a great chief by calling lightning with his camera's flashbulbs. This helps him take Great Horse's place in the beginning of the Danaga. His task is to enter the Cave of the Bear blindfolded and travel to his exit without being clawed to death by Guri the Bear, a warrior wearing bearskin gauntlets with talons. Should Jimmy survive, Great Horse can move on to the next phase of the Danaga, and his only hope of doing so lies in Superman's arriving to assist him. Lois has managed to finally contact Clark Kent, who is now flying to the rescue as Superman. 
Yes? Oh, Clark, thank heavens. Oh, hello, Lois. I just got back. Yes, the chief told me about your Indian expedition. How's life in the wigwam? It's no joke, Clark. This weird medicine man of theirs smelled a rat and pushed this, ooh, this test of a warrior ahead. Jimmy Olson's back at camp trying to stall him. What? You mean to say you left Jimmy alone with a character like that? You know Jimmy hasn't got sense enough to come in out of the rain. He probably won't have to. Hasn't rained here in months. Oh, very funny. Yes, he's a course. I'll do everything I can. The last sign of Krypton smashes through the cave's rock walls to use his impervious body to stop Gurry the Bear's lethal claws from attacking Jimmy. Nobody knows of Superman's intervention, but Jimmy has survived the first of the tests. The bear. The claws are gone. Then the bear is no more. And my father? The bear must have struck the wall of the cave. Donago must go on. Great Horse must now face the test of the tree. Through the tree. What is this test, Red Hawk? Look. He must chop down that tree with his tomahawk in a matter of minutes. The effort and strain will be too much for an old man's heart. But not too much for the great white bird. Oh, Superman will only get here. Nonetheless, Great Horse takes his axe to the wood and begins to cut in hopes of bringing a better life to his people. Odd seemed to be against Great Horse finishing the test of the tree until Jimmy distracts Okatee and the rest of the group of natives. As the cub reporter takes their picture, Superman knocks a chunk of wood out of the tree, causing it to fall. An outraged Okatee is shocked to see that Great Horse can begin the third and final trial of the Donaga. The last of Donaga. Test of black smoke. Now your fate is indeed with the gods, my father. Not even the great white bird can help you. I wanted only one thing, Red Hawk. That you should one day be chief. Should the time come, I pray to the gods that I will be as brave a warrior as Great Horse was. Was? Wait a minute, you're talking as though he were already... Pipe of black smoke means death if the medicine man is displeased. And Okati is angry. That is quite obvious, Mr. Olson. What'll happen? Okati will fill the pipe. My father will smoke it. If the gods will it, the legend says he will live. But if Okati is against Great Horse becoming chief... But why should he be? I think he senses that I am against the old superstitions and fears that the medicine men have always played on to rule us. Besides, he lost face when the bear lost his claws and the tree fell so easily. It is time. I won't let him go through with it. It'll break his heart, but I'm going to stop it. What is it? That black powder. It is a poison, I'm sure of it. I won't let my father smoke it. I won't let you smoke that black smoke. It would be foolish. My son, if I have not the courage to complete Donaga, tell me, can a man live without honor? 
Could I ever again face my people? Or you? The black smoke. Great spirit, touch the pipe to be smoked. Let the lips of the warrior great horse bring him life or death. Donaga. The smoke, it's white. The outside of the bowl, it's, it's charred. Somehow the black poisonous powder was burned away, neutralized. I don't know where Superman is, but I'll bet his X-ray vision had something to do with this. The great white bird has brought you a new chief. The good spirit of help is now with our people, Okati, not your evil tricks. You speak of legends, Red Hawk. There is no such person. You speak with split tongue to the tribe. Oh, great white bird, the time has come. I need your help. Did you ask my help, my friend? For what you have done, I am grateful. This is a trick, a pale-faced trick. He is not the great white bird. The great white bird could run the gauntlet untouched. Let this one dare that red hawk. Oh, boy, what a cinch. Get up your gauntlet, brother tribesman, and watch super... I mean, uh, watch the great white bird run it like it's never been run before. Prepare the gauntlet. Let the warriors strike hard. Now. This allows Great Horse to pass the Naga and become the chief of the tribe. Donaga is complete. I am chieftain of this tribe. Okati, hear my words. Red Hawk shall be the true medicine man of our people, and he shall succeed me as chief. Warriors of the past, gods and great spirit, peace and plenty must be ours, for the great white bird has come amongst us and he has blessed us. Let the hunting be good. Let the warriors be brave, and above all, let there be rain. Rain is our greatest need, but not even the great white bird can bring us that blessing. Great horse, wait. Remember the legend of the great white bird? Remember how he flew away into the sky? Let this man of pale-faced trickery fly! Such is the test of the great white bird! And he does so by flying, and then he attempts to bring a much-needed resource to Great Horse's reservation, rain. Placing some explosives in the clouds, Superman has brought rain to Great Horse's people. Later, back in Metropolis, Lois and Jimmy recount their adventure to Perry White and Clark Kent. Great Horse and Red Hawk are with them in the editor's office. Well, I wish I could have been there. It sounds like it must have been pretty exciting. <laughs> Golly, look at the swell souvenir I got. The hatchet Great Horse used to chop the tree down. I got one, too. A necklace from the claws of the bear. My father is honored to present you with a symbol of our tribe's gratitude. You have shared the blessings and friendship of the great white bird with my people. I name you Okichi Boygan, he who writes with thundering machine. Gosh, gee, don't call me. 
Well, all right, James. This is one time you may call me chief. <laughs> and thank you very much. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I think we've pretty much uh, discussed our feelings on this episode. Yeah. You know, I love the adventures of Superman starring George Reeves, Phyllis Coates, Noel Neal, Jack Larson, John Hamilton, Robert Shane, etc., etc. They could have done without this episode. Yeah. You know, just... There is nothing... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to... There's so many things wrong with it, even taking into consideration the time period, the mid-50s. Right. And I understand what they're trying to do, but it seems so clumsy, so awkward, so, in modern language, so politically incorrect... Right. ...that it's, it's cringeworthy. It's hard to watch. From the opening jokes that Jack Larson poorly executes it's awkward i must give the actor credit who played the first native american we see coming into perry's office oh uh tall star tall star yes uh you gotta give him credit because his facial expressions both when jimmy are making his bad puns and perry trying to be sensitive and hearing but at the same time saying things that were very awkward right. uh, the actor kind of had great facial expressions as if he's saying that's okay i'll ignore that next do you almost get the feeling this character is kind of used to this kind of stuff yes yes so that is i think the redeeming factor in this episode actually is that actor that guy and i wish we saw more of him we only see him in this one scene yeah and that's pretty much it so right. It's too bad, but uh, because once they actually get to the Indian reservation, oh, it doesn't pick up from there. It doesn't get any better. It gets actually worse. Yeah, well, but, uh, I mean, it but, starts bad. We start with the Native American ritual, and here it's like, here we go. Here, look at the savages. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The only thing I kind of thought was cool, I do like the headdress. I think that whether they're real or not, they look cool. I have no complaints about the uh, Native American costumes. Yeah, me neither. I think their Native American costumes look good. Uh, that kind of stuff looks good. I like the medicine man's buffalo hat thing he's got on, his headdress with the buffalo horns coming out. You know, all of those things. I think the look of the Native Americans is fine. And, of course, Superman and Jimmy and all the rest of the regular characters look fine. All right. You know, as far as the Indians go, I mean, this is the age uh, of the Westerns. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's no shortage of Indian costumes laying around. Oh, no. My goodness gracious. No. At this point in time, 1955, American television is dominated by Westerns. Right. So, you know, it, there's plenty of it hanging around. But I think, you know, we, we have mentioned the fact that the actors, when you when you gave out the actors' names. Right. Not a lot of Native American names in that. <laughs> not a one. In that cast. Well, you know, even, even now when you run into Native Americans, they really don't have Native American names. They kind of have... Uh... Their names have been anglicized for the most yes. part. Yes, they have. You know, uh, if they have a Native American name, it's their last name. Kind of like this character we see in Jimmy's office. His, his Native American name is probably Tallstar. Right. But his, his first name, name is like George John. John Tallstar. John, right. 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 So, so there was that. That's the, that's the first scene, pretty much. Right, right. The first scene is the election of the chief, of yes. who's going to be the new chief. Which I think is interesting that I thought it was going to be a little more. When the medicine man holds the little bowl around and they each put a stick in the bowl, obviously it's a stick that represents that particular um, chieftain wannabe. You right. know, the guys that are all running for it, I guess, they put their stick in a, in a hat. And then the medicine man, I was expecting him to hold it up over his head or shake it up or do something. 
but all he did was look directly at it to make sure he picked the guy he wanted to be the next chief. Right. Rigged election. Oh, absolutely. But I have a feeling this medicine man picked exactly who he wanted. Absolutely. You know, he wanted, obviously, whomever is going to be elected has to go through these three tests. So he wants the the person least fit to survive it. Exactly. That's going to be Great Horse. Because if Great Horse, even as an elder, if he makes it through the test and then dies, but has made it through the test, he becomes chief. But then when he dies, it goes back to his son. Right. They're like royalty. You know, they don't elect their new chief every cycle or every time one dies. No, it's Only hereditary. in this case, because the current chief died without having an heir. So they have to elect a new chief. The medicine man wants to handpick a guy for this task that he knows will not, or he assumes will not succeed so that the other guy will get it. And that's who they're going for. They don't want the new young modern guy becoming chief at all at any time. Because, you know, he's going to bring terrible white man ways. Right, to, uh, to the people. No, he doesn't, definitely does not want the, um, the white man ways. He wants to remain, I don't want to say backwards, but he wants the old superstitions to uh, continue ruling the tribe. Well, plus because he thinks he can control them better. I mean, that's kind of the what they are insinuating by, the, by this. So they're not saying it and spelling it right out. But he knows that, or he assumes... If they stay with the old superstitions, that he will more easily be able to control the rest of the tribe. Right. So, and doesn't want. Red Hawk, who is the son of Great Horse, wants nothing part, no part of this. And this is where we get our scene at the Daily Planet, where Jimmy comes out of somewhere, crashes into a Native American dressed in modern clothes. Obviously, we know he's a Native American because he's got a little feather in his uh, hat. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy kind of just crashes into him because he's not paying attention to where he's going, and the stammering starts immediately. He does that several times in this episode, crashing into people. Yeah. I, I, I almost want to channel to the time barrier a little bit, Jimmy. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen an Indian before? Mm-hmm. I guess he hasn't. Apparently not. He, he says he's looking for the editor. You know, you can tell that he, just from his speech, that he was educated off the reservation. Yes. Nice looking hat. I actually like a lot of stuff about Tallstar. Tallstar. Yeah. He looks good in spite of the fake makeup that makes him probably a few shades redder and darker than he really is. Oh, I'm sure. But, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, I like his outfit. It's a nice-looking outfit, great-looking hat, and he carries himself really well. I like this actor. I think that's one of the highlights. Well, I said that already. He carries kind himself of, with, an air, with an air of dignity. Yes, he does, and it's kind of a, a highlight, I think, of this episode. Like I said, too, there's not much dignity in the rest of it. No, and like I said, too bad he's only in... Like three minutes, he see we see him. He makes his pitch to Perry, who he Jimmy brings him in, and you know Perry kind of yells at Jimmy for calling him chief, but stops himself as soon as he sees Tall Star. Jimmy is kicked out and kind of crashes into Lois at the water fountain. Like, <laughs> right. right. So the first two people Jimmy has seen in this particular episode, he crashes into. Right. <laughs> it's like it's just a, it's just a guy. Yeah. Okay, he has a feather in his hat. Is that really a re- good enough reason for Jimmy to kind of go crazy here? Apparently. Look how excited he is. I mean, who are we going to actually, are we going to blame the writer or the director on this one? Or both? Well. I mean, because this is a George Blair's uh, first of this season. He did two or three of the second season. Right. Maybe more. Uh, I think he did about half of this. Yeah, he did quite a bit. I think he did did 10 in the second season. You're right. You're right. But 
I'm putting most of the blame on this one on the writing. Well, yeah, but you know what? George Blair, if you remember how I'm talking about semi-private eye, he does have a history of kind of letting Jack Larson go. Right. So. But, all right, okay, I see your point. I see I, I see where you're going, but this is not a, a one of, now, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe Jimmy is as good. Maybe Jack Larson is as good, but because it's, you know, you know, poorly, you know, almost cringeworthy Indian jokes that, that it just doesn't feel funny you or know, something. I like these actors and I like this cast, obviously, of this show. Right. I'm not sure they're all good enough to elevate crap to the point where it's good. Uh, probably right. You know, this is- some actors can do it, but I'm not sure if as a whole, Jack Larson or Noel Neal can. Yeah, and I think had the writing been better and had they had a little different, more serious direction with this thing. But then again, there's also the really bad sets. Once we get to the Native American village, I mean, you can see the floor and it's supposed to be outside. Right. And it's obviously a soundstage. It's just... Now I, you know, I well the bad the bad sets we blame on the budget. That's true. It's you know because the budget was not as large now as it was for the uh, previous seasons, and the budget was never really that large to begin with. Exactly. Think back to the haunted lighthouse episode two. You know, you can kind of see oh, yeah. the shadows on the backdrop. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. And you know, as many times as I watched that, I never noticed that until I listened to the uh, commentary for that when I got the DVDs. Right. Never noticed it. And then the commentary on the DVD tells you to watch it. <laughs> right. And then I saw it. They tell you where it is, too. So. Yeah. So, obviously, you know. And since then, now, watching these DVDs, uh, I will see boom microphone shadows. You'll see the jump board, the, the, the springboard. Uh, you'll see windows that shouldn't be that are. There's all kinds of little things oh, like yeah. that. But, uh, but anyway, don't distract. Let's nope. get back into this great right. episode, Test of a Warrior. So John is representing Red Hawk, who is the son of Great Horse, who is fearful that his dad won't be able to pass the test. And I don't think any, what these tests are, I don't think anybody's going to pass them. Right. And great. Great Horse's son is Red Hawk. Right. And that's who they really want to eventually be the next chief because, like Tallstar, he was also educated in America. higher education in America. The reservation. Yes, yeah, so a New York college somewhere. I don't think we have to call it White Man University. <laughs> no, no, no. But it was some a regular college off the university. Right. He I was mean, ed- off the Right. He was. Educated in America, so he wants to bring technology right. to to the tribe. So Perry sends along Lois and Jimmy because Clark Kent is somewhere I'm, on assignment. He's on assignment somewhere because he's the one who's to contact Superman. So, but so he sends away Lois and Jimmy with. Uh, well, we never see Tallstar again, but I assume Tallstar brought them to the reservation. Yeah, that's what I assumed. I actually. When I look, watched this uh, the other day before we recorded, I was thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, which one of those is he? Is When they should go back to the village and all of the other Indians are sitting around together, is Tallstar one of them? Right. I, and he's not, apparently. I didn't see him, but then again, I really didn't look. I'd imagine if I saw him, if he was there, he'd have had a larger role in the story. Yeah, that's what I would have thought, too. And I didn't see him there. I think once we get to the reservation, Tallstar has done his bit. And he's also about six foot four, so if he was there, we would have noticed. Exactly. Who gives the the stuff out at the end of the... Is that... I believe that's Great Horse and his son. Great Horse and his son, okay. Right, because he's passed all the trials and been inaugurated. Right, okay. Okay. So, okay, so they go to the reservation, and here we go. If this episode was ever on the rails, this is where it goes off. 
<laughs> yeah. As Jimmy is kind of marveling at all the Indians. But what else is he going to expect to see on an Indian reservation? <laughs> so, you know, he's kind of treating them like a like it's a trip to the museum. But this is real people and their real culture that yep. he's kind of making light of. And But, you know, for guys like Red Hawk, this is uh, very real. Because he's afraid that, and probably rightly so, that this test is going to kill his father. Right. And, this is life and death here. Right, it is. And I'm not sure Jimmy and Lois are treating it as such. Red Hawk's first idea is they need to stall the test because, as Lois says, Okatee smelled a rat and started early. And Red Hawk comes in and accuses the medicine man of violating the tribe's custom, and he treats Jimmy as a guest of Great Horse, and somehow, I don't remember the logic, nor do I care to, this somehow means that Jimmy needs to be inducted as a friend of the tribe. Meanwhile, Lois calls for Clark. He's not back yet. She's going to pace around the phone and wait for him to call. It's Red Hawk that stands up for Jimmy? Sponsors him in the membership or whatever? Yes, I believe so. Red- See, that would have been a point right there for Tallstar. Tall right. Because how does now Red Hawk, how does he know all of a sudden? That, oh, yeah, this is my friend. I stand up for him. Well, Tallstar says in the scene with Perry that he came on behalf of Red Hawk. So we'll have to assume that... Red Hawk sent Tallstar. Okay. So then we'll assume that they have now spoken somehow and that Tallstar says that Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane will be there. And those are the ones that you... Yeah, I guess. They're also the only white people on the reservation. That's so. true. That's who true, who so. else would they be? Yeah. In order to induct him into the tribe, Jimmy is going to have to smoke from the peace pipe. As, just like he did in Semi-Private Eye with the Cigar, Jimmy coughs. Cough, cough. <laughs> but I didn't see any smoke come out of his mouth. Out of Jack Larson's mouth. Right. I'm but about I, to look for that. I, I, I don't remember that. I did see some come out of some of the other guys, though. Oh, uh, right. I'm guessing uh, Jack Larson wanted no part of that. Yeah. Or that's why he coughed. All that stale smoke still left in the pipe because it went out, so it's stale. Well, I'm they, sh- need, they need to fire it up again to get him a fresh burn. Judging by what happens later with uh, Jimmy's name, I'm pretty sure the cough was scripted. <laughs> right. Now he's going to go into the uh, Great Horses due for the test of the bear, and Jimmy tries to stall this by demanding he take the test. Right, because Lois has to leave, and she goes to call Clark. Who's not back and, yet. Right, and tells Jimmy to stall. So the only way apparently Jimmy could stall, instead of doing like a song and dance routine or telling jokes or doing some stand-up comedy, he's... Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Them. Jimmy yeah, Olsen, going, Jimmy Olsen stand-up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's going to go convince them that he wants to try out for the chief thing. <sighs> and why does anyone allow this? I mean, if Jimmy fails, does that mean Great Horse fails too? Apparently. But why would they do it? Because they would even think that since he's younger, although the first test is the bear thing, so youth wouldn't have a whole lot to do with whether or not a guy hiding in a cave with gloves on with claws would kill the old guy any faster than well, you, the young guy. Youth might be able to run a little faster. Probably. But the old guy, I don't think, would be afraid. He wouldn't fear it. He would know. Although, you know, I would just think if, if this is the test, wouldn't the whole thing know that it's not a real bear in there well i think they had done this before yeah but uh the claws are real claws are real the claws on so the i claws guess they all real. know that there's going to be another indian in there with bear claws on hiding and you have to go through the cave and try to get back without being clawed by the other guy right i mean uh he's uh 
he's standing right there with the gloves. Right there. Yeah. So it can't. Yeah. I don't think any of these guys can control a, a real bear. No. No. Interesting. Yeah, I saw a bear on my deck once. That's cool. In New York? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of bears up here. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, oh. Black bear. Mm. Came, not knocked over some plants, and it kind of went on its way. Mm. We have deer and possum and raccoons. Yeah, squirrels. We have, lots yeah, we have, of squirrels. We have a lot of that, too. So, anyway, <clears throat> after Jimmy makes his demand, uh, the uh, phone does go off, and Clark calls. I'm not sure where Clark is calling from. Yeah, it wasn't his office. That really. was not his office. <clears throat> it wasn't Perry's office, so not sure either. Well, did he call from on assignment, or... <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know where he called from. Unless Perry got a hold. Unless Perry got a hold of him wherever he was. So Clark makes a few racist jokes. Asks them how uh, the Indian exposition is is going, and he yells at Lois for leaving Jimmy with the medicine man. This is one of the few the bits of dialogue in the show that I do like. Right. Uh, Clark's comment about Jimmy not having enough sense to come in out of the rain, and apparently Jimmy doesn't have enough sense to stay out of the cave with the man with bear claws either. Mm-mm. So. Well, but Lois, is, when Clark said, uh, why would you let him go? He doesn't have the sense to come in out of the rain. Lois makes a little comment back, well, that's not a problem here. Because they already mentioned there's a drought. Right, so right. the drought is going to come back later. So well, Jimmy's going to get himself into trouble because he's not using the uh, the old gray matter. It's not working today, apparently. Because there is no condition that I can think of, if you don't have to do this, that going into this cave is a good idea. Yeah, it's not. All his job was is to stall, to keep them from continuing on with the test until Lois can get to Clark, who will get to Superman, who will get there and apparently take care of everything. And how does Jimmy stall? He stalls by participating in the ritual. Yes. I like your idea of stand-up comedy a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but unfortunately, unfortunately, Superman gets there on time. He breaks through the cave wall and takes out the quote-unquote bear. Mm-hmm. Apparently Superman has performed some declawing surgery, and the right. glove is now harmless. So, And does that particular Native American with the bear claws, does he come back out of the cave to, to join in with the rest of the ritual? Or did Superman knock him out? I think he came out. Because if he came out, wouldn't he know what just happened? I mean, a guy in a blue suit and a red cape just busted through the cave wall. Well, they don't know anything. They just think it's the great white bird. But they haven't seen him yet. Only one guy has seen him. Did he come out and say, ooh, the the white man, Jimmy Olsen, was saved by the great white bird? Well, I know, no. the, I know the gloves came out. I don't remember if the guy actually came out. Yeah, so interesting. I didn't go back to check, and I really don't care to. Yeah, me neither. I'm not going to go back and look either. Not at this episode. If it was Great Caesar's Ghost, I'd go back and check. Right. Several times. Yes. But not this episode. No. So next next is time for the test of the tree. We have uh, some wasted dialogue from Lois wishing Superman was there, but he already is. And apparently a uh, great horse has to cut down a tree with a tomahawk in a few minutes. Right. I don't it's a care. huge tree. It's I don't huge. care who you are. Mr. Universe in his prime is not cutting this tree down with a tomahawk. No, not in a few minutes. No. A few days maybe. Yeah. But even then. You couldn't do it. Not the size of this tree. Couldn't do it. No. So, But that's part of the plan to make that, him fail. Right. And uh, this is when uh, everybody sees Superman for the first time. He's uh, using what Red Hawk calls the sign language of his tribe. No, I don't think that's the sign language of the tribe. I just... Those are very basic hand movements that are telling people to... Shh. Shh. <laughs> right. Basically that. And it points at the, at the little crowd of people... 
to kind of distract him so he can go over by the tree. Right. So, if that's the special sign language of this unnamed tribe, then their sign language needs some work. I think Superman could have just used super speed to get past everyone, but all right. I guess we're going to do sign language first. Didn't use a lot of super speed in these shows. The technology isn't really there to do it well. Right. So, Jimmy's going to provide a distraction. He's going to take everyone's picture. I'm guessing these Indians have never seen a camera before. They think he's summoning lightning. Yeah, again, so many bad things about this. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think you could find a Native American reservation in the United States anywhere in 1955 where its occupants did not know what a camera was. Right. So, please. So, Superman takes apart the uh, styrofoam tree very quickly. <laughs> right. And I love that. Because, I don't love that. I love that in, boy, that's really bad special effect because there's no special effect. It's a huge piece of probably what you said, styrofoam right. and wedged out. And it's an entirely different color than the tree itself. Right. And, of course, Superman just slaps it, poses in, before he slaps it, then poses after he slaps it for a second or two. And uh, so then the tree will fall. Right. I do like the idea of Superman slapping the tree to make it fall. Yeah, I like the idea. Yeah. The execution was terrible. Well, nearly dropping it on Great Horse didn't seem like a good idea. Ah! <laughs> right. I mean, if he gets crushed by the tree, does he still pass? It fell. It fell. But then he wouldn't be able to go to the next. No, the, the test of the black smoke. Right. And uh, this is where uh, the tribe kind of rips off the Vatican a little bit. <laughs> because if the smoke is black, we have we don't have a new chief. But if it's white, we have a new pope. So. Yay. <laughs> so apparently, uh, never see this off screen, but we get some expositional dialogue uh, from, I believe, Red Hook, Red Red Hook, Red Hawk, <laughs> who says that the something that the ball has been charred, right? Which, which to Jimmy means Superman's X-ray vision took care of the poison, right? In so, the comic books at this time, they're calling it the heat from his X-ray vision, but still not heat vision. No, not yet. Not yet. This show will never call it heat vision. Never. This show will never call it heat vision. They will always either say the heat of or just x-ray vision. Right. Oh, he did that with, he melted that with his x-ray vision. Right. So, and of course, somebody always has to tell us what happened because we don't actually see anything. Right. Right. It's not like in the comics where we see the beams emitting from his eyes. Exactly. So, that's that. All the tests have been passed and we have a new chief. And okay. o- and Okatee the medicine man is quite beside himself because he doesn't believe in the great white bird. And this is when uh, Red Hawk, I believe, kind of calls out Superman, and Superman shows himself. Shows up, right? Hello, I'm and a great white bird. I am blue out. Yeah, I'm a great white bird in a blue suit. So, which you know, next season Superman will have a great white suit. Is that next season? Yeah, the big freeze. I believe that's one of the yeah, first episodes of the season. Ad. That that's, is. That's in my top ten color. Yeah, I, I like that one. So, but yeah. that's for then. For for now, we're wearing the blue suit, and uh, the gauntlet is basically a bunch of guys whacking him with with uh, their uh, tomahawks and uh, sticks. Superman kind of walks through it, looking quite bored. I wonder. If, bored. I wonder if George Reeves is too. I don't know, but he sure acted like it in this one. But not in that slouchy kind of. He's still big and strong and tall as he walks through. And he didn't flinch at all with these guys hitting him with their little plastic or broken, no. you know, tomahawks and weapons that they had. Well, they probably weren't hitting him that hard. No, and I'm sure they were all, you know, obviously ready. They're breakaway right. props. So, uh, but but George looks good. He does. In, in this season, almost the whole season. I like the costume. He just looks good. He is. He looks what I kind of call sometimes in this show Superman board. 
Yes. You know, yes, like, don't you know I'm Superman? Right. Don't like, you know? Yeah. I believe it's a later episode. I believe it's Superman's wife, where the guy's just shooting at him and he kind of got his arms folded across his chest. <laughs> right. You know, I was like, oh, almost like you're saying, all right, guys, come on. All right, fine. Get it out of your system. Right. Practically so, doing everything but but yawning. Right. And you're like, all right, get it out of your system so we can so I can punch you guys out. Right. Empty the guns. You know, it's not going to do anything, but we're going to play this game anyway. So, now with everything finished, apparently, uh, I guess, uh, Great Horse's inauguration was, a, or test, rather, is sealed by Superman's winning the gauntlet. Yay. And uh, Okati is out of a job. And he should be. Right, as... rig an election. As a great horse, uh, names his son the Medicine Man, and his successor as Chief. Now, great horse is gonna ask for some rain, because apparently you can go You can go to the shop now, and you can or, order up a thunderstorm. <laughs> well, if you have a friend who is Superman... Right. And... Is this the second or third time Superman has created rain? In the series. He did it in the Wolf episode. It's at least the second. I don't know. Has he, has he done it before? He did it in the first episode, uh, or the, the black and white, the yeah. first season. Yeah, he did it in Ghost Wolf. Ghost Wolf, right. With uh, uh, a power... A long co- piece a power- of wire. Yeah, and a, <laughs> and some... Was there a thunderstorm? And lightning. Right. But... Uh, I, I don't remember any other times. I'm trying to think. I don't know if he did it again. I'll have to think. I think it happened again. It might. It might happen in the future. Well, right. when we get to talking about another episode, I think another one will pop up where somehow Superman created rain. I was getting a little, because uh, the image that flashed through my head right now was Exile, but he didn't create that rain. He just flew through it. Right, and it flew through a thunderstorm. Yeah, he didn't create that. Thunderstorm, right. So, uh, interesting. Okay. So, the Medicine Man is going to demand that the Great White Bird fly, and Superman kind of does a little more eye-rolling. He kind of looks at the... uh, and Okatee kind of, almost like he's saying, seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got this. And he just flies off. So Superman goes to this construction company and steals some dynamite. Mm-hmm. At least nobody's Break. nobody's breaks there. In. To, breaks Steals in. It. Yep. Slaps it open looks that. like it was painful, but he didn't act like it was painful. No, he... I'm talking as an actor, as a man. When he slapped the top off of that little box of dynamite... Right. That looked painful to me. It looked and it sounded heavy it sounded you know solid but he just slapped it picks up a couple sticks of dynamite puts them in his belt and flies off did he put him in his belt i'm getting an image where he stuck him in his belt jumped out flew off he might have i don't remember yeah i don't remember now but he flew off but he does fly off with it yes i don't think we actually see what he does you know it's Mm. it's not like uh ghost wolf where he saw him flying up toward the cloud right they didn't pay in this one to do a new flying scene for him to explode the dynamite. No. He just went up, you heard a big boom, and down came the rain. Yeah. Which looked absolutely nothing like rain. No, it looked like the uh, studio fire alarm. Yeah. It, it didn't look good at all. And what? Lois and Jimmy kind of, you know, the look on particularly Lois's face, not a pretty look. No. While she was getting wet there. Yeah. Not oh. a pretty look. I'm guessing that blowing up a dynamite is easier than freezing a lake. Like Christopher Reeve did in Superman 3. And carrying it from one end. Yeah, physics will let you do that. I'm sure John Byrne has an explanation for it. John Byrne has an explanation for everything. He had far too many explanations. Yeah. So our our ending scene takes us back to Metropolis. Yeah, don't get me started on John Byrne. We'll get letters. 
Well, wait a minute. It's your show. You'll get letters. I'll get the letters. <laughs> I'll forward them to you, though. <laughs> right, thanks. <laughs> so back in Metropolis, Red Hawk and his father are showing uh, their thanks to the Daily Planet staff by uh, sending some presents. Because that's what you do when somebody helps you uh, survive an election. Yeah, why not send them presents? For his help, Perry is awarded with a fancy-looking head- headdress. Very nice headdress. Yeah, it is a very nice headdress, and he's giving his Indian name, which translates roughly to He Writes with Thundering Machine. And what's the name? I said it before. i got to go back and read it again. <laughs> Okichi Boygan. Okichi Boygan, yes. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Lois gets the claws of the bear. She gets out of the nice necklace. Kind of reminded me of a necklace that, uh, there was a picture for the Mets in the late 90s. Turk Wendell, who's a relief pitcher. Yeah, he I used, remember Turk Wendell. He used yeah. to wear uh, his hunting trophies around his neck. Yeah. Claws and things like that. I don't think Clark gets it. I don't think anybody else gets anything. Oh, no, Jimmy gets the hatchet. Jimmy gets, yeah, Jimmy gets a tomahawk hatchet. Yeah, the one that, uh, allegedly cut down the tree. They, they couldn't arrange to give him Superman, so they had right. to, he had to set off with a hatchet. Golly, Chief. Yeah, and uh, Perry's going to let it go this time. This time he can call him Chief. Okay, James. Yes. I like yeah. the nice, it's a nice little ending, you know. It's a nice ending. It's a good scene. They're all comfortable in the last scene. You know, they're back in Perry's office and everything is everything. But, no, overall, I, I really, I don't even think I cared much for this as a little kid. Right. Watching, but I definitely do not like it now. I, I could have done without watching it. I mean, I'm glad I did because I haven't seen it, but every time I pop the disc in, I, I skip this one. I end disc one with Great Caesar's Ghost, pop it out, and put the next one in. Right. Uh, you see, I'm a completionist. You have to watch it. I have to watch them all. <laughs> I, yes, I have to suffer. Yeah. I have well, to I've s- seen them a lot. I've right. seen them a lot. Is this your first time going through them? Have you actually watched the whole No, I've watched, I watched the whole thing as I... I'm not sure I watched the whole thing right in a row, but as I got the... Uh, the I got the DVDs as they came out, pretty much. So. Oh, okay. I don't think I sat and watched the whole series, all 104 in a couple of months. Right. But I'm pretty sure that as I got the sets, mm-hmm. I watched them. Okay, but this might be kind of like you coming back for the first time since you actually bought the DVDs. I probably haven't watched this show at all in about 10 years. Oh, Terrific. So, in a way, it is kind of either just remembering, kind of bringing back some memories, but it's kind of like watching them. You're watching them with a different eye now. Right, definitely. I'm watching them a little more critically. Right. And uh, obviously, I'm being way critical, way more critical about about this because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love this series, but this episode, it it really is cringeworthy unless you just, just think... I don't even know what. Just think, okay, I don't care. I'm just going to laugh. Right. I'm just going to laugh at all of Jimmy's ridiculous stuff. Lois is really only in it for about five minutes. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a little more. Uh, You know, I think the concept is good, but the execution is really poor. Right. And Oh, and I meant to mention when we were starting this, uh, the story is loosely based on a story in Action Comics number 148. Right. Action Comics number 148 from 1950, five years prior to this, where, and I took a quick look through it. I didn't read the whole story, but I took a quick look through the pages and noticed that it typically starts like a lot of stories do at the Daily Planet. There's Clark and Perry and a bunch of them are talking. We like to say that all good Superman stories start at the Daily Planet, but some bad ones do too. Some bad ones start (laughs) there as well. But so I'm looking at just the images and not reading it at all, not really reading it, just to kind of get a quick 
uh, overall. And so you see the guy, the main characters in the planet doing some sort of talking about something. But then Clark goes and does, you know, it's Wayne Boring Art. So he goes and changes to uh, a real nice shirt rip in an alley to Superman. But instead of going to, at that time, a 1950 modern Indian reservation, Superman flies through the time barrier, which, of course, he could do under his own power in this time period. So any people who were thinking, oh, that's a Silver Age thing, didn't happen until 1954, 55, where he could fly, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. He could fly under his own power through the time barrier years before the Silver Age started. Wait, he was, doing, he, he was doing that in 1950? Yes, he was. He was dro- flying in, in Action Comics number 148, and it may have even been sooner. So he was flying to the Time Barrier under his own power when Time Barrier was written? Yes. I, yes. When in I, the comics. When I asked yes. you that, you didn't know. I didn't know. But when I saw this issue, right. I realized, oh, and this was, and then when I went to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics right. and looked up Action Comics number 148 and realized that came out in 1950, and you're right. We were talking about Time Barrier, which was 1954, 55. Right. So, yeah, he could already fly through the Time Barrier under his own power in the comics. One of these days, I got to kind of go through and see if I can track down the stories and some of these notes that some of these episodes are based on, just it's to see. Little, it's it's kind of fun, and it is kind of a nice project. I've done it for a couple of them, but not right. all of them. I wanted to find out if there was a big freeze you mentioned earlier. Is there a big freeze? I could not find that in the comic anywhere. Right. Uh, and other ones. There are some episodes, him splitting into two people. Uh, he did do that, but it was usually a red kryptonite thing that did that. He didn't do it under his own willpower. Right. So there are things that they I love play, that episode. you know, back and forth with on the show. The other thing was in the comic, after he flew back in time, a lot of the same tests that he does on the show here, he did in that issue of the comic. Right. But since I didn't read it, I, I didn't know why he was doing those things. But at some point, you see him walking through a gauntlet and doing some of the other things. So, you know, maybe one of these days, I'll see if I can dig up a digital version of that somewhere and... Read right. it and see if uh, and see how close it is to the one we just did, but with great old Wayne boring art. But anyway, it's Action Comics number one forty eight from nineteen fifty. Right. So that's all I got on this one, and that's a lot considering yes. that I'm not sure either one of us really cared for this particular episode much. I don't really know of anyone who cares for this episode, but you know, I like to mention. You know, I've mentioned this before with other episodes how there's always a scene or. A snippet of an episode that I'll remember from way back when. Right. I remember the bad sign language. <laughs> right. Right. I remember that, too, because I think like in third or fourth grade, I forgot when, but sometime in elementary school, I, I was really into the whole Native American thing. I got really into it. Right. And, and, th- and there's a point in school where you were at least then, when I was in third or whatever grade I was in, where you learn about Indian sign language. Yeah, exactly. So I, when he when he says I, that it's the sign language of his people, I'm just like, hey, I'm going with it. Right. Well, I because checked this book out of the library. I remember checking this book out of the library, and each page was like a, either a little poem or a little story, and they had the words there, of course, but then they had the hands uh, showing the positions and telling you how to say those things in Indian sign language. Right. And uh, I remember studying that book and learning, you know, uh, the sign language from that little book about what a river, how do you say a river, how do you say a tree, how do you say going to, coming from, all of those little things, sky, down, love, hate, those words. And uh, 
when you're, I'm just like you, when I see Superman and then Red Hawk says, oh, he's using the language of our people. No, he's not. No. Not even close. There's no Indian. There's nothing there that says anything about any kind of sign language other than English. You know, wave your hand, move over there. Shh, don't say anything. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff is universal. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy talk. But, right. So anyway, there's a lot that they, I think, could have done had they spent a little more time on this. But, you know, I'm not I'm not giving them too much credit for this particular episode. No, not at all. Because, I, again, I like the idea of it, but the execution was absolutely terrible. Yes, it was. So, but there it is. Remember, we did say that just because some episodes are silly doesn't mean they suck. This one does. Right. This one does. This one, I think, deserves the phrase it sucks. But they do it. For they'll pick little things out of other episodes right. that you know maybe kind of not there, and use that to justify their opinion that the whole series sucks. No, no, and that is just not the case at all. No, it's there not. are one or two times where we see most of the time, though. To be honest with you, in my opinion, it's not the whole episode, but there'll be a scene that you'll go, "Oh, yeah. that was bad." But I don't think, you know, this particular episode may be my least favorite of them all. And I don't know, once we get down the line, because I'll be back for more episodes right. down the color thing. And we might find one that, that rivals this one. But I can't think of it off the top of my head right now, which one that might be. Yeah, but, yeah, but <laughs> so. this one on top of how bad and shoddy it was, you know, seemed disrespectful to Native Americans. Not that they were yeah, really worrying yeah. about that at this time. Yeah, I don't think they did that intentionally, but I think you're right. I think it didn't put them in the best light, and it almost made it seem like their traditions were stupid. They didn't come right out and say that, but right from the get-go, it was the idea that their traditions and heritage and culture did not equal or was not as cool as the white man culture. Right, well, you know, well, this episode is written by white men who probably don't really understand Native American culture. Uh, probably not then. They were basically going on cliches and, right. and caricatures. So, but yeah, not, not my favorite episode. No, not mine either. Not my favorite. And it's sad because, you know, I don't like saying bad stuff about this show. Right. But you know what, though? At the same time, there are 104 episodes in this series. They're not all right. going to be great. <laughs> no. Especially for the time and budget. Right. They had no time to do it and no budget and shooting two or three episodes a week. So With the way this show was produced, yeah, it's probably fortunate it got as many great episodes as it did. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, sometimes uh, for me... It's kind of like watching superhero shows throughout history. Some of the Wonder Woman shows, for example, are absolutely terrible. They are cringeworthy. Right. I mean, totally, how can you even watch this thing? But Linda Carter saves it. Right. She is in it 100%. The same for Hulk. If it weren't for Bill Bixby, right. that show was just, why would anybody watch it? Except to laugh at Lou Ferrigno's terrible wig. Right. And he's actually doing some very funny commercials for MeTV right now. Lou Ferrigno. Right. Very funny. So I'm glad to see he's still around and, and he looks good and, and uh, is having fun with the fact that he played the Hulk. Right. You know, the, kind of the, the wheel turns on these things, too. Yes. You know, even Batman 66 is suddenly getting more respect than it used to. 
Absolutely. Next time, uh, Jimmy Olsen is going to come into some money in Olsen's Millions. It's kind of amusing that we're going to go from an episode about Indians to an episode where Jimmy is going to send smoke signals. <laughs> right. And uh, and then and we I'm will... I'm sure he'll still be really rich at the end of the, the episode. Of, of course he will. <laughs> and then we will meet Clark Kent Outlaw. A good episode. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. So, Bob, where can the good listeners find you? They can find me at my usual little scary haunt, Superman Forever. It's the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. You can send me an email there, bob at supermanforever.com. See me on Facebook, Bob Fisher. I'm there. Find me amongst the other 5,000 Bob Fishers. <laughs> <laughs> and you can uh, send me the feedback at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group. You just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search field, and that'll come right up. And if you don't mind, why don't you drop by iTunes and Stitcher and leave a review for me there. That'll help elevate the show in the search profiles. And you can also find me on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the Fear of the Walking Dead cast with Scott McGregor and Brian Hughes. We have recently finished covering the first half of the Walking Dead, the regular show, season seven. And I'm sure we'll, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing in the interim, if we're doing anything. I'm assuming we'll be back when the show returns in February. And you can find that at twotruefreaks.com. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.